Yale's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right, Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, my brothers and sisters. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, mademoiselle, monsieur. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo a Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. I hope everybody's doing great. I hope everybody's doing what they need to do to make this place a better place to be in. Listen, learn, listen, learn, shut up, listen, learn. Educate yourself from someone who doesn't look like you, someone who with a different viewpoint than you, has more experience than what they're talking about than you. Shut up, listen, don't interrupt. Shut up, listen, learn, and then take that knowledge bring it on to the next person who's ignorant to the topic, who's ignorant to that community, who's ignorant to those ways of life. Educate them so we can move the society along in a fantastic, in a harmonious, in a loving, in a unified way. Maybe not for my generation, maybe not for your generation, but your children's generation and their children's generation, so on and so forth. Let's get the thing rolling. So by the 22nd century, if this world is still existing, it can be a hundred times better than it is right now in terms of people getting along, in terms of people understanding each other, in terms of people willing to listen and learn to others' different point of view, especially when that different point of view comes from education, comes from knowledge, comes from experience, and the person who's trying to debate that has zero or little experience in that situation, in that discussion. So hopefully we'll go on with that. Before... I begin the um, podcast today because I wanted to talk about mainly this podcast after I'm done talking what I really want to talk about. After this topic I'm going to be talking about now, I'm going to be focusing mainly on the NBA playoffs, the fantastic game four with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. I'm going to slurp Luca a little bit more and just a little bit more and just a little bit more. Talk about Paul George, talk about Donovan Mitchell, talk about a lot of things concerning the NBA playoffs. And then at the end of the program, talk about Ron Rivera, the Washington Snyder skins going on with that. You know what? I can't even believe that the end. I haven't even focused anything on the NFL season, man. Between what's been going on outside of the sporting world and the conventions that are going on and the NBA playoffs that are going on, man, and the fact that we don't even have any NFL preseason games, I hate to say this, but man, I've completely sort of kind of forgot about the NFL. Man, I left the NFL home alone. Well, I went on vacation with the NBA playoffs and what's going on else in the world. So, with the podcast coming up, man, I've got to get myself up to speed in terms of what's been happening with the uh, NFL. But I do want to touch on the uh, Washington Snyderskins football team, professional football team, whatever you want to call them, making moves. And also, uh, Ron Rivera, get well soon. The fact that uh, he was diagnosed with cancer kind of makes me scratch my head. With a guy who might have to go through chemotherapy, is it really safe for him to be around anybody 
in terms of football players because of the COVID-19 virus. Was, so I'll get to that by the end of the program. But I want to begin the podcast today by expressing my thoughts and prayers and especially, hopefully, justice in the near future to Jacob Blake. If you haven't heard, according to multiple reports, at least one police officer in Wisconsin shot Blake, a black male, surprise, surprise, seven times in the back Sunday afternoon after officers were called to a domestic incident. The attempted murder, which it was, was captured on video by a next-door neighbor. Now, according to the Kennesaw News, Blake was unarmed and had been trying to break up a dispute between two women when the police were called. And according to reports, Blake is out of surgery and is in ICU. Let's hope when all this is over, he receives a generational wealth that he deserves from the city. He needs to sue somebody and sue a lot of people regarding this matter. And let's also hope that the domestic terrorist, aka the police officer who tried to murder him, let's hope that he's being gang raped in a prison every single day of his life for trying to uh, do this. Just another example, really. And um, the boogeyman for black and brown people in this country, they're not Muslims, they're not undocumented immigrants, they're not Muslim terrorists, they're not uh, Mexicans from Mexico who are looking to rape and steal and kill and murder, they're not anybody from Antifa, the biggest fear and hate group for black males in this country wear blue uniforms and can murder us freely. Free season on murdering Negroes, especially males, especially if they're in a poor neighborhood, black and brown folks. And I've always said this, man. And let, for those who might be tuning in for the first time or listening to my podcast for real on the first time, let me, let me say something. Let me explain my show to you. I'm a guy who wants to talk about sports. That's what I want to do. I've spent 20 years, almost 20 years, over 20 years really in the broadcasting business. And it's all been centered on talking about sports. I want to talk about sports. I love sports. Of course, I love music. And of course, I love being informed about what's going on. Of course, I love my community. Of course, I love my society. I love a lot of things. But for me to get on this microphone, to sit in front of this microphone every two to three days and talk about what's going on in the world of sports. For me, it's therapeutic. For me, it's something to where I really enjoy doing it. As I mentioned before on my podcast, people might make the comments that my podcasts are long. You know that, why my podcasts are long? Because I want to share what I'm giving. I want to give my thoughts and opinions out to you. I want to make you think. I want to make you be entertained. I want to make you feel something, some type of emotion, joy, anger, whatever it is. You know, I feel it's my job as a broadcaster, as a communicator, and I think someone who's pretty good at it, if I must say, to give you these things so you can take what I'm giving, whether it be in sports, whether it be in music, whether it be anything, and move it along and have you think about it and have you be entertained. And if you're at work and you're working and your next break isn't for another three hours, if your next lunch break isn't for another three hours, if you get off at four o'clock and right now is one thirty, and you're trying to figure out how in the hell are you going to get to 4 o'clock without falling asleep, going bored, killing your co-worker next to you or cursing out your boss. How are you going to make it through? Listen to my podcast. Listen to my thoughts and opinions about what's going on and anything. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to get you through. If you're driving on the road right now and you're barely making it and you've got the window down and you're yelling out the 
yelling out the uh, window because you're trying to keep awake, put on my podcast, feel my energy, feel my excitement, feel my passion, feel my enthusiasm to keep you going so you don't crash into a tree, so you don't run off the road, so you don't smash into another car in front of you, so you don't go across into the other lane because of your fatigue, because of your tiredness. That's what mainly I'm here for, man. That's what this is all about for me. One of the main things why it's all about for me. So I love doing this. And for me, the main vehicle that I use to have my enthusiasm, to have my passion show, is through sports. Get to talk about things who, you know, when I speak about what's happening in the real world, when I speak about these social issues, when I think about things that are going on in my community, when I give you my thoughts and opinions, and I'm going to be going on talking about how great of a human being Luka Doncic is because he's a genius of a basketball player, or if I see, or if I hear people talking about what a horrible chump that Paul George is because he can't rise up to the big game when they need him or he had a bad game. I mean, how trivial, how ignorant, how minuscule, how pathetic, how immature, how everything are we going to be making these opinions about these sports athletes when what we have in Kenosha, Washington, uh, Wisconsin is going on right now, what we have across this country, what we have across this world concerning black men, concerning poor folks, concerning brown men being murdered in our streets, being murdered in our homes, being murdered in our stores, being murdered in our schools by these people posing as peace officers. When they're the exact opposite, when for black folks in this country, in the United States of America, supposedly, allegedly, the greatest country to be in, the greatest country to live, how is it that black folks, black men, poor black men, poor brown men, brown men, how come we can't walk the streets? How come we don't have any trust? How come we fear our quote-unquote peace officers? It doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't uh, register to me. Don't understand the propaganda. Don't understand the reasoning. Don't understand the debate that people have concerning this matter. This is not a debate. Cops are murdering black people. Cops are murdering innocent black people, brown people, poor people, poor people of color, and getting away with it. That's not a debate. That's not something that's like, you take the opposite and I'll take the, you know, I'll take the pro and you take the con. That's not a debate. That's the goddamn truth. In a country that espouses unity and brotherhood and togetherness, in February, every once in a while, they'll mention Black History Month and they'll talk about what a wonderful guy Martin Luther King Jr. was and the struggles of the civil rights movement. We'll go into all that bullshit, but when it comes to why is it that peace officers, people who are supposed to be peace officers, people who are paid to protect us, serve and protect us, why are they violating our rights? Why do they feel the need to shoot minorities? of color? Why? Why is that a debate? Why does one party ignore that? Why do a certain group of people, black, brown, Asian, Hispanic, Christian, Jewish, whatever it is, why do those people don't want to acknowledge the truth? Why do they feel that their ignorance toward this matter is something that's viable? I don't know. I don't know. Why are we having these debates? We've had these debates. When I say shut up, listen, learn, people who feel that this is a debate, people who feel that this is a discussion in terms of, hmm, let's have a debate topic on police officers 
shooting unarmed innocent people of color, namely black and, black and brown men. Why do we feel that there's a, who is comfortable enough in their ignorance concerning the issue to sit there and say, okay, I'll take the, I'll take the point of, no, that's just a myth. No, that's not right. No, that's really something where it's the leftists or the, you know, the lefties or the snowflakes or the black people playing the race card, all, all of it. Why, why is that a debate? I don't, I don't understand that. I don't get that. Any devil, any, the evidence shows that Black folks are being murdered, and there's nothing going on about to do anything about it. Has anybody been arrested yet for Breonna Taylor? I mean, how long do you expect us to keep marching and keep wearing her name on her shoes and wearing hats with her name on it and talking about it in interviews if you're athletes? How long do you think the folks of Louisville who are downtrodden, who are people of color, how long do you think we're going to be waiting before we got to go to the next step? Ask the folks in Minnesota what the next step is. United States, do you want that to be shown across the world? Do you want another riot? Do you want more looting? Do you want more burning of buildings? Let me tell you something, man. You know what? For all those who are talking about looting, rioting, and all those type of things, history has shown, you know what? We're getting better at it. One of these days, we're going to cross the ridiculous side and say, why in the hell are we burning down our own communities? Why in the hell are we burning down our own buildings of people who look like us? People who look like us, they're not the problem. People who look like us and are facing the same type of afflictions, facing the same type of discrimination, facing the same type of pain, facing the same type of violence against us, they ain't black, they ain't brown, they ain't Hispanic. Why are we, what are we doing in our own community burning it down? You know where we need to go if we want to have our message really be taken seriously. Let's go to the burbs. Let's go to the police stations. Let's go to the white-owned businesses in the white part of town or in the affluent part of town or the upper-middle-class part of town. Well, you have in some communities, people of all races live in there, black, Hispanic, Asian, white. Let's go to those communities of influence, of affluence. And make our presence felt. I bet you if there was something in terms of, I don't know what the upper middle class or the rich folks area of Louisville, I don't know what that is. But I tell you one thing, if they had a gang of Negroes and Hispanics walking up there, walking up the streets with uh, baseball bats and clubs and everything else, other types of weaponry, heading on up, walking on up to those suburbs, I bet you one thing, I bet you something would happen then. I bet you if there's a burning, looting, and, 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 and anarchy concerning, in, that, in those communities, I bet you something would be done concerning this matter. So I don't know. I don't know. Just my anger in this kind of overtakes. And again, this is a sports talk show. <laughs> this is really, I want to get to a sports talk show. And I'll have the same passion and enthusiasm talking about the performance by Donovan Mitchell. I'll have the same type of passion and energy talking about the greatness of Luka Dantich. I'll have the same verb and then an enthusiasm talking about what's happening in the playoffs. I will, but you know, it's, it's just, I speak about this stuff because I want to, you know, I'm not going to put my head in the sand. I think as a black man, I really don't have the opportunity. I really don't have the privilege to 
put my head in the sand and be like, oh, you know, nothing to see here. <laughs> you know? Oh, what happened? I mean, you know, it's kind of hard for me to talk about, oh, my goodness, what, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Is Patrick Mahomes going to have a better season than Lamar Jackson? And let's talk about, you know, the Seattle defense now that they've uh, gotten, um, oh, shit, the motherfucker, I forgot his name. Hold on, hold on. Seattle picked up the safety. Oh, who was uh, one of the better safeties from the New York Jets, number 33, whose name I can't remember right now from LSU. God damn it. Oh, well, but... You know, it's kind of hard for me to talk about what's happening concerning those matters and not even give you my thoughts and opinions as a black man. Hopefully, as a white person, you are listening to this. Hopefully, if you're a black person still ignorant to what's going on in our community or for some own reason you have Candace Owens disease or you have, um, you know, Herschel Walker disease and for some reason feel that everything is super dandy fine within our community, or for some reason it's our community's fault and no one else's fault. I mean, hopefully, by listening to this podcast right here, hopefully you will get mad enough at the worst-case scenario, you get so bad at me for playing the race card that you go and tell your friend about this race-baiting jackass who does some Wendell's World of Sports podcast. You should have heard what this motherfucker was talking about, blaming everybody else who's in the black community about what's going on concerning police brutality and police killing black people. Isn't that the craziest thing you've heard? Here, listen to what, the, what this motherfucker had to say. And then play it for the person. And maybe that person will say, well, shit, you know what? I don't think he's uh, off. I don't agree with everything he says, but a couple of things I think that he's on about. And maybe that will start a conversation between two people who will uh, forward the conversation. I don't know, man. Who knows? Crazier things in this world has happened. So, you know. And then after those guys debate how crazy I am about talking about race and they call me racist and all this other kind of stuff, at least they all agree, they all agree with me that uh, Luka Doncic is the new Don of the NBA. He's the new best player in the league as we stand right now. And we'll move on to go something else. I don't know, man. I don't know. As many people, when he was in his heyday, listened to Howard Stern because they hated him just as much as they loved him. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't do it for... That type of shit. I just got to just, you know, give this to you the way I feel about what's going down in my community. And again, as a black man, I can't count. I can't call him Kyle Hurt. You know, I, I, I can't sit there and just ignore what's going on and talk about, you know, what's happening in the, in, in the NBA playoffs and that's it. Or what's happening in sports and that's it. I can't be like Callan Kyle Hurt. I can't be like Dan Patrick. I just, I just can't. I can't. As a black man, especially the black man who wants to see the society move forward, and that's really part of my podcast, is that when the world of sports and politics intersect, I want to spend a good amount of time on it. So, yeah, there you go, man. And if I offend you, go fuck yourself. I really don't give a shit. These are my feelings. These are my thoughts. I've been dealing with this now. How long we've been dealing with police brutality? I mean, you know, how long we've been dealing with this shit. And here we are still in 2020 and we still have people up there talking about it. This ain't a race thing in terms of, it's not like all white people are sitting there talking about, yeah, we should defund the police. That's bullshit. And all black people are talking about, yeah, defund the police, please, please, please. There's plenty of people on both sides. There's plenty of black folks out there who are sitting, who are sitting there talking about, hey, you know, we need the police. The police are our friends. I've never had any problems with the police, so I don't know what they're talking about. These guys should just behave and act right and the police wouldn't do any harm to them and all this other stuff. There's plenty of black folks. There are plenty of folks on our side who aren't invited to the barbecue or sitting up there making those type of statements. The same thing when it comes to Hispanics and the treatment that Hispanics are being 
uh, the, the, the treatment, the mistreatment of Hispanics in this country. There's plenty of Mexicans, there's plenty of other Latino Americans who are sitting there talking about, well, you know what, stay in your own country if you ain't legal. So get the fuck out of here. I don't want to hear your whining. I don't want to hear your, your complaining. Learn some English and then, uh, you know, go get a job and get legal. So there's plenty of, so, you know, a lot of times when I talk about these things, police brutality, uh, discrimination in our community, discrimination for minorities in this country. Sometimes people might misconstrue and think that this is just a black versus white thing. No, there's plenty of black folks who sitting up there who listen to your views. I mean, they sound just as ignorant and just as ra racist and just as bigoted and just as stupid as the biggest stereotypical white person, you know, that Billy Joe Jim Bob from the countryside of Alabama and he talks with an accent and he wears a beater shirt and he drives a big up truck and he flies the Confederate flag and blah 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 and he goes to NASCAR event. Every stereotype that you want to throw into a, what a white racist looks and sounds like. I mean, there's plenty of black folks who take away the only difference between them and that stereotypical white person is the skin color, probably the hair color. The eye color and those type of things. When they say the same type of shit, same thing with Hispanics, same thing with Asians. So this is not a, when I'm speaking about these things concerning what's going on in our community, this is not, I've, I've never put this in a black, white thing. Now, yes, more than not, when we're speaking about police brutality, more than not, when we're speaking about discrimination toward people of color, more than not, when we're thinking about things that have been illing the black community, the brown community, the Hispanic community, the consensus is most white folks are going to have a different opinion than black folks. So we get that. It ain't 50-50 among blacks and whites when we're talking about police brutality in our community. So I, I, I get that. So most of the things could say that I'm swaying toward the majority of whites having this feeling or having these thoughts, having these opinions of ignorance concerning, oh, what are you talking about police brutality? If that guy wouldn't have been wearing a hoodie or if that guy wasn't on that part of town or if that guy would have just stopped or if that guy would have just complied with a police officer, he wouldn't be dead. I don't know what folks are talking about. I don't know what black folks are talking about. These guys are, once again, just playing a race card and they're too lazy to go get a job and they're killing each other on the streets and, uh, you know, they're all into drugs and they're all into prison and all their, their, all of their heroes are basketball players or sports athletes or dancers or rappers. So, you know, I don't understand what these people are talking about. Yes, the more than 50-50, we're, we're speaking about more white folks agree with that premise of what black people are all about in our issues than uh, white folks are than black folks. I get that. But this is never about, you know, one race is one all the you know the entire race is wrong and racist and the other race is correct and deprived of our civil rights it's, it's never about that there's plenty of white folks who sit there and agree with every word i say that doesn't make them you know i'm not saying that because there's like super great wonderful human beings some people are just more educated some people white folks just have the ability because they've been around people of color because they've been around people who will talk to them about these issues because maybe they've had first-hand experiences being around people of color or they've witnessed this. So they've been indoctrinated into what we're speaking about. And then you have some of these white folks who live out here in the sticks and the suburbs and places where you can't find a black person no matter how long and how hard you look 
who only get their viewpoints from Fox News or Rush Limbaugh or Michael Savage, these great baiting assholes. You know, so and they have their own thoughts and views. And they're not intelligent enough concerning the issue, concerning the matter, through lack of experience, through lack of knowledge, through lack of, you know, being around these folks, through lack of their environment of diversity. So, I don't know, man. So, it's it's never black and white. It's never right, just wrong. There's a whole lot of layers. There's a whole lot of ambiguity. There's a whole lot of stuff going on with that stuff. So, you know, I, I just feel that, again, don't mean to sound redundant, but fucking, I'm going to keep saying it until y'all get it through your thick fucking skulls. Um, he's a black man. And when the George Floyd thing went down, and I promised that I would see what I can do to kind of help move. What part can I play in this third reconstruction that we're having in this country? What can I do my part to try and help people move the society forward? I ain't going to go out and march. I ain't going to go out and loot. I ain't going to go out and burn. I ain't going to do any of that stuff. That's for the young folks, man. All that physical stuff. I'm too old and too fat, too out of shape to do any of that stuff. To loot, to fight, to, you know, physically get altercations and all like that kind of stuff. I can't do that stuff. But I can shout. I can talk. I can speak. And I do have this platform. No matter how small, how big it is. I do have this platform to express my views and express my thoughts and feelings. And so that's how I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. That's the avenue that I'm going to go down to try to do my part to make this place a better place for everybody. Because when everybody is on page in terms of what's right and wrong, I mean, the world would be a very boring, dysfunctional, asinine place if everybody agreed on everything. That <laughs> would be just, no, that would be the wrong thing. But there's certain inalienable rights. There's certain concrete issues where there is no right and wrong. If you do meth, that's wrong. If you snort coke, that's wrong. If you rape women and children, that's wrong. You see, there's, there's no debate on that. That's kind of like we can all agree on, right? Right? Not a good idea to go out and murder people. No one should be sitting up there talking about, I want to be the next Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, John Paul Knowles, uh, the, the, the Grim Sleeper, um, you know, Wayne Williams. Nobody should be out there talking about, I want to be that guy. And it should be universally being said, yeah, go for it. Woohoo! Do what you do, baby. Strive number one. No, we don't need any more Gary Ridgeways. We don't need any more Dennis Raiders. We don't need any more of them folks, all right? I mean, you know, I've had enough H.H. H. Holmes, and I've had enough of those guys to last me a lifetime, okay? So, you know, we don't need that bullshit. So there's certain things that, yeah, we can all agree on, no good, no bueno. Being a racist is another thing that we should all agree upon, not a good thing. You should not hate someone just because of their skin color. You can hate that person because he's an asshole. You can hate that person because he's overbearing. You can hate that person because he has an annoying personality. You can hate that person because his jokes are funny and he keeps telling stupid ass jokes. You can hate a person for a lot of reasons. You can hate people. That's not against the law. That's not a character flaw. But please, let's see what we can do to hate somebody other than because just because of their skin color. 
We can all agree to that. We can also agree that, you know what, there should be people who protect and serve us, who actually protect and serve us, who are actually peace officers. And those people should be rewarded with fantastic pensions and medals and honors and all of those things. So when they're done working at their profession after 20, 25 years of protecting and serving, that we take care of those men and women like kings and queens in their retirement because of the good work that they've done protecting our communities. I have no problem with that. I have no problem raising our taxes to take care of retired police officers who have done their job, who have really taken heed to serving and protecting those, all people of all races, from all communities, no matter what the financial uh, background is, no matter what the community is, no matter any of that stuff, if they're genuine good people and their main thing is to protect and serve, bring peace and harmony. Yeah, man, when them folks, after 20 years of doing it, if they want to retire, hey, man, let's let's treat them like kings and queens. Let's make sure that the rest of their days on this earth, if they live to be 500, let's make sure that they're every single day, they don't have to worry about nothing in terms of finances or taking care of this or taking care of that or health care or whatever. Teachers, firefighters, police officers who actually do their job, what we expect, what we fantasize, utopianize what the profession of a teacher or a firefighter or a police officer or a military person. Hey, I don't mind paying extra taxes to make sure those people, when their tenure is served, when their time is up, and they want to kick back and relax for the rest of their days. I don't care about taking care of those people to make sure that they're taken care of. Goddamn right on that one. But, you know, we can all agree that for those police officers who want to, um, who want to abuse their power, uh, they should be dealt with rather harsh and severely. And we should also know that, you know what? Not really a good idea in terms of there's really no debate. Really no debate. We can all agree that bad cops are bad people that don't need to be policing. We can all agree to that, can't we? So, you know, let, let's move on. Let's, 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 let's kind of get off of the debate of, you know, police brutality. Let's stop debating and let's start acting. And hopefully in November, when the fucking asshole piece of shit is out of office, God hoping, well, it'll be in January, but when he's, when he's uh, booted, maybe the folks that are coming in will do something about it. I don't know. I don't know. It'll be up to us as a society to push, to prod, to demand by any means necessary. Hey, just because if, if Jay Biden and Colin Harris are in the uh, White House, they ain't doing their job. That doesn't mean that, you know, just because they're in the White House, that doesn't mean that we can't let our feelings be known in the most extreme ways possible. Shit. Ain't no, ain't no problem with that. You know, they're not exempt from that. So let's really, really hold their feet to the fire. Because, again, this is this Jacob Blake case is not the first time this has happened. The other black males who were recently murdered by domestic terrorists, a.k.a. police officers. You have David McAtee, who was killed while demonstrating following the in-custody killing of George Floyd. So McAtee was an unarmed businessman in Louisville, Kentucky, when he was killed, when the police and the National Guard recklessly returned fire from people shooting at them, hitting 
McAtee fatally. We have on May 6th, Sean, um, was it police, uh, in Indianapolis shot and killed Sean Reed, the 21 year old U.S. military veteran who was unarmed. See, unbeknownst to the cops, unbeknownst to the domestic terrorists who killed him, Reed was live streaming the episode on Facebook in a circumstance that, lo- that allowed the police to be recorded joking about the shooting. In fact, here is the exact audio of Reed being murdered. Please come get me. Please go get me. I'm on 62nd in Michigan. I just parked this motherfucker. I'm gone. Please come get me. Remember his name. Remember that situation. Remember Sean Reed. We're going to remember Breonna Taylor and the others. Sean Reed. Let's not just stop. Let's not just have three or four barters. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. An unarmed driver named Willie Reed was handcuffed and placed in a police car before an officer shot him to death on the night of January 27th. Right here in PG County. Right there right there in, in uh, PG County, Maryland. You know, right across from uh, where I grew up, Montgomery County, Maryland. More than 18 hours later, the Prince George's County Police Department had still not fully briefed the media, prompting questions from Green's family about potential false narratives being spread about the victim in an effort to protect the, the officer who uh, who killed him. You know, still shots from videos claim to show Reed not being aggressive, contradicting contradicting police reports. It was unclear how old Green was at the time of the killing. So this shit just keeps going on and on and on and on. And for those assholes who want to sit there and, you know, play that, the you know, you know there's some folks who always play it the victim's fault. And so they always play the victim card and sit there talking about, well, you know, why didn't Jacob Blake, he should have, he should not have resisted arrest and he should have said, you know, he should have complied with the officers and none of this would have happened, this, that, and the other. Hey man, let me tell you something. Assist, resisting arrest doesn't mean you should be shot in the back seven fucking times. Doesn't mean the officer should try to murder you. I mean, if you gotta tase him, if you gotta tackle him, whatever you gotta do, if you wanna tackle him, hold him down, cuff him, and then pull him in the back of the squad car, you do what you gotta do. If you have to tase him a few times to stop him and then handcuff him and put him in the back of the car, that's what you do. You know, you want to bum rush him and pull him down and handcuff him and there's three officers there. I mean, this wasn't Shaquille O'Neal who was walking to the car. This wasn't Francis Ngannou who was walking to the car who was resisting arrest. You're talking about three big bad domestic terrorists, aka police officers. One of these guys had to shoot the motherfucker seven times in the back. And then you want to sit here and talk about, well, you know, he shouldn't have resisted arrest, so he got what he deserved, or you can't blame the cop, or again, it was the victim's fault because he should he should have complied. What the fuck are you talking about with that nonsense? How about this, man? Do us a favor. How about this? If the police department, the cops for black folks, if you could just treat us like, if you could just treat us like, 
the white folks that you arrest in any situation, that would be an upgrade. Because I've seen plenty of videos of white folks who were acting a fool and putting the cops' lives in danger be taken away, be subdued. Many different times, many different police districts. I've seen motherfuckers come out, cops, white guys come up, come up with a, come out with cops with a samurai sword. And somehow, some way, he found a way not to be a shot. I watched a show on, um, oh shit, what is it? The Investigative Discovery Channel about a guy was holding people hostage and was shooting outside of his, outside of his, uh, trailer home. Shooting people, shooting cops. Kill the cop. When they went to the door to try to arrest him, shot the guy. And as the other cop was running away, the guy shot him. Somehow, someway, the police found a way not to shoot him. It's amazing, isn't it? But for some reason, we always get these, well, you know, he was resisting arrest, or, well, he was a criminal, or, well, you know, he should have done this, or he should have done that. Damn, those folks are dead, who happen to be black, and there's just countless other situations where white folks are acting the fool far worse. And somehow, someway, they live. Surprising to me. Surprising to me. By the way, this is Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What I really like, and I'll tie it into, I'll tie it into sports with this, because I always say I do a sports talk uh, podcast where real life blends into sports. And the reason why I'm speaking about this, A, because I feel it's my duty to talk about this, being a black man in the situation that I'm in here in America in the year 2020, so yes, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. But also, I love the way that the athletes, again, black and white, are speaking up and speaking out on this. Um, Houston Texan wide receiver Kenny Stills, this is what he said about the shooting of Mr. Blake in Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it further proves the point that we need to make a change with what's going on with our law enforcement. Um you know, we have another unarmed black man being shot seven times in front of his children. Um, I think there's other ways to de-escalate these situations. And uh, just another horrible example of what our law enforcement is doing to our people. I think it further proves the point that we need to make change and make a change with what's going on in our law enforcement. Another unarmed black man being shot seven times in front of his children. Good point. I think there's no other way to de-escalate these situations. I don't, yeah, I mean, bingo, bingo. Good job by him. In fact, after game four, when Chris Paul played a brilliant game, and he could have gone on about the game, he could have saved it for the press conference to maybe talk about this. But after the game, when, you know, in the, in the um, playoffs for the NBA, you know, after the games are over, they have the on-court interviews, and uh, they talk about, yeah, this is great. Yeah, this is wonderful. Yeah, we're moving on. Yeah, this is this, that, and the other. They talk basketball stuff. Well, when the announcer, I don't know if it was Casey Hubbard, C- Cassidy Hubbard. It wasn't Malika Andrews. Ooh, I'd know if it was Malika Andrews. Ooh. Um, Cassidy Hubbard, I think it was the one where she asked uh, uh, Chris Paul about, you know, hey, you know, I can't believe it. Games tied two to two. This great comeback, blah, blah, blah. And the great, how does it feel right now? You know, there's your standard sports question after the game was over. But instead, uh, uh, Paul CP3 was like, yeah, this is great. And then he said this about the situation 
um, after the series when asked of that question. When asked, you know, to elaborate or ask a question about the basketball game. This is what he said. The series is tied now. What did you find at the end of this game that helped you guys pull away? Uh, I don't know. That's all good and well. Um, I just want to send my prayers out to Jacob Blake and their family. You know, the things that, you know, we decided to come down here to play for, and we said we're going to speak on the social injustice and the things that continue to happen, um, you know, to our people. It's not right. It's not right. So the win is good, you know, but voting is real. I'm going to challenge all my NBA guys, other sports guys. Let's try to get our entire teams registered to vote. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff going on in the country. Sports is cool, it's good and well. It's how we take care of our families. But those are the real issues that we, we got to start addressing. Love the response. Love the responsibility taken. Love the leadership. You know, I mean, when Chris Paul is playing, I say that, uh, I've, I've said this before about Chris Paul. He is, as of right now, he's today's John Stockton in terms of awesome point guard, all-time great point guard, but as far as the opposing coaches or the opposing players are concerned, you don't like them. Because I remember when Stockton would set those picks for years for Carl Malone's man to come across the lane and get the ball, Malone to get the ball in the post, and Stockton had to set that uh, pick. And people were, the, the opponents and the person who was being picked was talking about, you know, Stockton was cheating. And, you know, he was kind of an irritant when he was on the court, speaking of John Stockton. And, and that's Chris Paul. Chris Paul is like, Chris Paul is like John Stockton kind of Patrick Beverly sort of kind of type rolled into one. You know, he's just annoying. You know, he just gets under your skin when he's playing. When he's playing, you know, he'll he'll try to do a little bullshit and he'll try to be like, throw, throw his hands up in the air and be like, what, I didn't do anything. Or, you know, he'll knock somebody down a little bit and the guy will kind of glare at him and Paul will kind of go over there and try to, you know, give his hand an extension of friendship to pick him up. And the man, the guy's like, man, get the fuck out of here. I knew what you were trying to do. Get the hell out of here. Chris Paul is one of those type of guys. As a basketball player, when he's on the basketball court, that's one of his that's one of his deals in terms of also being one of the greatest point guards who's ever played in the NBA. One of the best pure point guards that's ever played in the NBA. Maybe the last of the great pure classic point guards who have played who will be playing in the NBA for some time. But you know, you can fault and you can get into Chris Paul, the basketball player, in terms of his relationships when he's on the court. I know when he was with the Clippers, you know, teammates didn't like him and other players didn't like him on opposing teams. And he's had his beefs and he's had his feuds and all of that type of stuff. But just in terms of leadership, in terms of being a man, in terms of taking responsibility, in terms of um, all of those things, Chris Paul is the man. Ain't no doubt. And you see... All of those qualities and features come to the forefront, for instance. This is a man who is the president of the Players Association. And her, him and Michelle Roberts have done a fantastic job uh, working with the owners. Adam Silver, the rest of these guys, these new age owners, who are basically around the same age as you know the people that they're dealing with in terms of the, these negotiating periods when you're speaking about you know the the eight Polans of the world and these old folks of the world who are in their 70s and 80s who Billy Hunter and those guys used to mess with in terms of trying to negotiate a deal those type of owners they're all gone or they're dead or they're retired you know those those guys are gone now you have these guys who are younger you know let's do some things let's get stuff done and uh they have more in common to work with in terms of agreeing with in terms of not fighting as much, and especially 
with a commissioner like Adam Silver. So you have these young, energetic owners who want to move the game, who want to improve the game, who are willing to be open and work with the player to see what they can do to reach a harmonious situation so this game can move forward. You have someone like a true leader like Chris Paul. You have someone like Michelle Roberts who's awesome at her job. You have someone who's not as dictatorial or is not as you know, uh, autocratic as David Stern was and Adam Silver, who's more open to listen to the players, to do what's right for the players. So that's the reason why, as of right now, yeah, you have the China situation going on and you have some other things that might be, you know, putting a little stain of what the NBA is all about right now. But as far as the future of the NBA is concerned, it's in great hands. It's in wonderful hands. It's in a strong position, not just domestically, but also internationally. And Chris Paul... It's a big reason for that. And you're kind of, you know, arguing or want to make the example of why I say these things about the NBA being in good hands and moving forward in the strong position that it's in. And I mentioned Chris Paul and you say, give me an example of leadership from Chris Paul. Just play that audio right there. So it was, it was awesome. Good job for him. Green Bay Packers, speaking of the death of or the attempted murder of Jacob Blake, Quarterback, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. He said there's a systematic problem. Until the problem is fixed, this is going to be a all-too-common sighting in this country. Very nice. Again, glad to see other than black players step up, say some things concerning this matter. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks, George Hill, Chris Middleton, head coach Mike Bootenholzer, they said this about these this act of domestic terror. From this domestic terrorist, this AKA police officer after game four, their game four win 121-106 over the Orlando, Orlando Magic. This is what uh, those players had to say, first starting with George, then going to Middleton, and then ending with Coach, Coach Budenholzer. And just sickening. It's, it's heartless. It's, it's a f***ed up situation. Um, like I said, um, you, you're supposed to look at the police to protect and serve, and, and now it's, it's looked at harass or shoot. We can't do anything. Um, first of all, we shouldn't even came to this damn place, to be honest. I, I think coming here just took all the focal points off of what the issues are. We're doing everything we can, but at the end of the day, it's up to our lawmakers, it's up to our, you know, our police department to stop shooting us. It's that simple as that. I mean, they're there to provide safety. There's different ways to de-escalate situations than shooting somebody, especially running away or in the back. We need to have change. We need to be better. Um, and I'm hoping for the best for him and his family. I'm hoping for the best as we uh, work through this in Wisconsin and Milwaukee and in Kenosha. So thoughts and prayers with Jacob Blake. I want to get back to what George Hill's comments, they were striking when he said that uh, they should not have, have to even have to come to this place to continue to play with. I wonder if Milwaukee stumbles in the second round against Miami, possibly in the Eastern Conference Finals against either Boston or Toronto. I wonder if someone's going to replay those comments by Hill and say, was this just someone in the moment making these type of comments? Was it just him who felt that way? Or is this something that permeated the uh, Bucks, uh, the, 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 uh, the players for the Bucks? And uh, this is the reason why they didn't fulfill their expectations of competing or winning an NBA championship. Oh, I want to uh, I'm keep my eye on that. I want to you know, kind of see what happens as we move forward going with that. But I enjoy and I appreciate the sincere thoughts and intelligent thoughts and opinions concerning those matters from Bootenholder, George, and uh, Middleton, especially with them being Milwaukee Bucks and this 
attempted murder by this domestic terrorist being taking place in the state of Wisconsin. So, Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us spending this first segment talking about what's been happening just in terms of the, you know, me sparking this discussion. Me sparking, giving me, giving you my thoughts and opinions about what's happening in the world today concerning police brutality and getting my thoughts and feelings about it before we move into trivial things such as the NBA playoffs. You know, LeBron, whose Lakers are right now rolling, I'm not going to be talking about that. I'm saving the Lakers talk in terms of what they're doing on the court for my next podcast that's going to be coming out in a couple of days. I've already started putting that shit together. But, um, yeah, after Game 4, their blowout of the uh, Portland Trailblazers, LeBron made his feelings about the attempted murder of Jacob Blake felt after the game, and this is what he had to say. What I can say is that um, if you're sitting here telling me that there was no way to subdue that gentleman um, or, or detain him or to just before the firing of guns, then you, you, you sitting here and you lying to not only me, you lying to every African American, every black person in the community. Because we see it over and over and over. There was multiple, if you watch the video, there was multiple moments where if they wanted to, they could have they could have tackled him. They could have grabbed him. You know, they that they could have done that. And why why does it always have to get to a point where we see the guns firing and his family is there. The kids are there. It's, it's, in, it's in broad daylight. And, um, and who knows? I mean, if that video is not being taken by that person across the street, do we even know if we even see that video? There's like talks about that. The cops didn't even have their body cams on. That's a possibility. Um, it's just, it's just, uh, Quite frankly, it's just up in our community. And us, I know people get tired of hearing me say it, but we are scared as black people in America. Black men, black women, black kids, we are, we are terrified. Because you don't know. You have no idea. You have no idea how that cop that day left the house. You don't know if he woke up on the good side of the bed. You don't know if he woke up on the, on the wrong side of the bed. You don't know if he had an argument at home with a significant other. You know, if it's one of his kids said something crazy to him and he left the house steaming. Or maybe he just left the house saying that today is going to be the end for one of these black people. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Um, it just, it hurts. It hurts. And it's this through the grace of God that he's still living. Like seven shots, close range, and he's still alive. That's through the grace of God right there. And um, my prayers goes out to that family and that community. But I got nothing nice to say about those cops at all. Thank you, LeBron. I love when he talks because I just see just a segment of people just get so upset. That, that's what... That's why I love LeBron talking so much about these type of issues and making these types of uh, comments and thoughts and opinions. His true feelings being felt and heard 
concerning these matters. If you're trying to make the argument that he deserved to be shot because the domestic terrorist had no other choice, then you're a liar. He didn't use the word domestic terrorist, but basically that's what he was saying. Very nice. And he made the point again. As black people in America, we're scared. And he's right again in terms of, you know, these guys, when they wake up in the morning, they're, they're human beings. I can tell you as a teacher, I can tell you as a substitute teacher, I mean, there's been days where, you know, I might go into a classroom and, and depending upon the mood that I'm in, depending upon how my life is going at the current time, depending upon how well I slept, depending upon how hungry and tired I am, I mean, there's, you know, there's some times where it's like I tell these kids, hey man, don't, don't, don't mess with me today, I'm telling you. Know, where kids can usually get away from some mess because I'm, you know, in a good mood or whatever. I'm going to let that slide or my patience level is at the point where, you know, I can deal with it. I, there's some times where I'm like, look, man, do not mess with me today or do not, you know, do not test me today. Do not go there with me today or else you're going to the dean because today I'm not in the mood. And they look at me all incredulous like, what, what, what? I'm like, I'm telling you right now, do not mess with me today. Do not. I don't curse, but I'm like, do not. Basically, don't fuck with me today, okay? I, I ain't in the mood. I ain't in the mood. And it's the same thing with police officers. You don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know what's going on concerning their kids or their children or their financial situation or their employment status or whatever. You don't know. You don't know if they had a bad dealing with someone right before on the job and they're in that mood and they're in that, they're in that space right now. So you don't know. You don't, you don't know. So LeBron is right on the money with that one. So, you know, again, I just, I just love, I just love it when he talks because I can just hear people saying, shut up and dribble or who cares? You're, you didn't go. Why are we listening to this guy? This guy didn't even go to college or, you know, look at him. He's from the streets of Akron and this, that and the other. And I don't know why people pay so much attention to him. And he's a choker because he, you know, he quit Cleveland to go to Miami to join a super team and he choked in the 2011 NBA playoffs and I got outplayed by JJ Barrera. So because of that, his, Thoughts and opinions about being a man is diminished because of that. And he'll never be as good as Michael Jordan. Jordan just stuck the basketball. And this guy thinks he's, he's Martin Luther King and Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown all rolled into one. So I hate him. I can't stand him. He'll never be as good as Jordan. He's a choke artist and go fuck himself. I love when people have that. I love when people get that so physically and viscerally upset when LeBron talks about these things. It's like, come on, LeBron, keep going, keep going, keep going. Show your power, show your strength, show your impact. Love it, love it. Absolutely love it. I, I've, I've said it before, man. Police officers who commit these crimes, they should be dealt with like other domestic terrorists. I feel the person who did this to Mr. Blake is no better than the Unabomber, the Boston Marathon Bomber, Eric Rudolph, who carried out four bombings between 1996 and 98, killing Three people, you know, he's the guy that set off the bomb in the uh, Cent Centennial Olympic Park during the uh, Summer Olympics of 96. He's no better than Len Davis, a black former police, New Orleans police officer who was, who ordered the murder of a young woman who witnessed him beating a witness. Len Davis was a bad, bad, bad man. I cannot believe that motherfucker is still living. They should have fucking, someone, someone should have gone out and put a bullet in his brain a long time ago, or at least someone should have beat him to death. Watch City Confidential concerning that on A and E. I think it's I think you'll find that on uh, YouTube. I watched it years and years and years ago, and I've watched that show in terms of the one about 
how corrupt and how dysfunctional and how horrid and how terrible the police of uh, the New Orleans Police Department was back in the day. And a lot of them, a lot of them domestic terrorists were black. And the worst of the worst was this black guy, Len Davis, a worthless piece of shit who it's, it's, it's an affront, it's an insult, and it's horrible that that motherfucker is still, is still allowed to breathe. That guy was bad, bad, bad news. And the woman that he killed, just a woman out there on the streets in New Orleans, trying to get by, living in the lower economic conditions of uh, New Orleans, and trying to be right, trying to do the right thing, trying to be responsible. And this is and this is what happened to her. Len Davis ordered the murder. And then when he found out that she was murdered, I guess he was being, um, you know, he was being tailored. You know, there was surveillance out on him. And this shit was being recorded. You know, on any of the program, you could actually see and hear him laughing and cheering when he found out that this woman was murdered. Oh, I forgot her name. God damn it. Makes me want to watch the uh, show again. But this motherfucker was up here cheering, cheering and laughing and going, yeah, yeah, baby, fuck that nigga. All that shit. When uh, he found out that she was murdered by, uh, by the hitman that he, uh, sent to get him, to get her. And that motherfucker still, what has got to be now? So this, we're talking about, man, this happened like 25, 26 years ago. This guy is up here in Terre Haute, Indiana right now in the federal, in the, in the ADX up there, still waiting to be executed after being retried. After being retried. The first, the first, uh, sentence or the first, yeah, the first sentence was thrown out. They retried him, found him guilty again, put him on death row again. Said this still motherfucker still up here living. Not in my America, Jack. Not my America. Not only would I kill that motherfucker, not only would I have that motherfucker executed, I would videotape him being executed and videotape me cheering him on, cheering him on as he died to go show his fucking family members. Kim Groves. That's the woman's name. Kim Groves. Yeah. Hero. Kim Groves. That's the woman's name. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the police officers... Who do this type of stuff? The guy who killed Derek Chauvin, whoever, did, whoever killed uh, George Floyd, yeah, that that motherfucker should be sitting up there in the same prison cell as Len Davis and Michael Rukin. Uh, Rukin, Michael Rukin. You ever heard of this story? This is a former corrections officer at the FCI Danbury in Connecticut who was sentenced to prison in 2008 for having sex with an inmate. Then he was convicted in 2010 of trying to hire a hitman to kill the inmate, his ex-wife his ex-wife's boyfriend and a federal agent while incarcerated at UPS Coleman in Florida. So Mr. Rook, Rookin won't be getting out till he's like, I don't know, 564 years old if he can make it that far. So the guys who commit these domestic terrorist acts and do it wearing uh, the police uniform, put those motherfuckers in the same predicament and the same situation at these other domestic terrorists, because that's what they are. This mother, these folks think they're fucking James Bond licensed to kill black folks. Fuck you, fuck you. So yeah, man, that's some. That's the way I feel about all of that stuff. Good job, LeBron. Good job, the athletes for speaking out. You know my thoughts and feelings about all of this. Now, let me get to some NBA playoffs. Hey. Oh. 
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Good first hour. That was really great first first hour. Very, very therapeutic for me to get out all of those things that I wanted to say. Right now, as I'm recording this, I'm recording this in my townhome here in Northwest Las Vegas. I got on the screen as I got on my television as I'm recording this. I got on Game 4 of the 1987 NBA playoffs between the Los Angeles Lakers, my squad, squad of my youth, team that I love the most, that Lakers squad, versus the Boston Celtics. Game 4 of the um, NBA championship back in 87. That was where... Magic Johnson basically solidified his status as the best player, not only just the best player that year, but in the debate about who would better bird or magic, um, you know, for the entire decade, depending upon who you were, depending upon your skin color, depending upon where you grew up, depending upon how much you love basketball, you know, it was either Larry or it was either magic. And I was a, of course, a huge, huge, huge Magic Johnson fan. And um, this kind of solidified it when he won this series over Bird. First of all, Boston was was on his last legs. Uh, I remember this playoff series. They should have lost to uh, Detroit if Isaiah Thomas didn't throw the ball away. And Adrian Dantley, if Isaiah Thomas didn't throw the ball away in Game 5, and if Adrian Dantley didn't get injured in Game 7 in the fourth quarter, it would have been Boston and it would have been L.A. and Detroit playing in the 87 NBA Finals with the possibility, really, of Detroit three-peating. A lot of things would have happened. Adrian Dantley would have gotten his ring. Um, you know, We're speaking about maybe the team of the 80s being the Lakers, Pistons, then the Boston Celtics, if that happens. So it was a uh, tumultuous kind of season for everybody during that uh, time. But I remember this game. This game was on a Thursday night. I believe, and I was watching the game at my house, that wasn't my house, my parents' house in Silver Spring, Maryland, and my closer than brother, Mikel Davis, was there, and we were watching the game, and my parents were asleep. We get the game started at 9 o'clock, you know, East Coast time, and, uh, you know, we were watching the game, and, you know, I was hooting and hollering and doing all those type of things, and, you know, my parents were trying to get to sleep. My dad had to be at work by 5 the next morning because he worked down in the district, you know, my mom had to work the next day, so she had to wake up early. You know, she was a school teacher, so she had to wake up early, teach classes, and do all that type of stuff. And um, I remember watching the game and this, that, and the other. And I remember the Lakers were getting their asses kicked. Then uh, they put in Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson was invaluable in terms of having the Lakers come back in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter. And they finally caught him, and they were tied up. And I remember the junior hook. That Magic Johnson had over Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale. Me and McHale were watching the game, and I was so intently involved because, like I said, the Lakers were my team, and Magic Johnson was my man. And I would have fucking given anything humanly possible to see Magic Johnson beat Larry Bird in an NBA final. I would have, did, I would have given my life at that very moment to have Magic Johnson beat Larry Bird in the in in, in the NBA finals. So we're watching this game, and we're watching this game, and they switch off. And McHale gets Magic. No, no, no. Yeah, Mikhail gets Magic. Kareem is calling for in the post. And I remember all year because Magic, that was Magic's MVP year. 
where they switched the focus of Kareem being the focal point of the offense to Magic, and that's when Magic developed a jump shot and some low post moves. So, you know, Magic got the ball, and Kareem was calling for it, and, you know, every year before that, they would have, would have given the ball to Kareem, spread out, give him some room to throw up that skyhook over Mikhail or Parrish, whoever was guarding him, but Magic took it off the dribble, hesitation dribble, went to the middle, gave him that jump hook, that junior skyhook, he made that basket, and as soon as he made that basket, here I am in the living room. My parents' bedroom is upstairs. It's probably close to midnight, if not midnight, on the Thursday night when both of my parents had to be at work early the next day. When Magic made that shot, I literally, not only did I scream, not like a bitch, not only did I scream in exultation and jubilation, I screamed, yeah! I ran, I, I screamed, I ran from the living room to the front door. Don't ask me why I did this. I've, you know, when, when extreme joy and ecstasy take over, you know, you just lose your mind. As soon as he made that basket to get the Lakers to lead, yeah! I ran to the door, the front door, opened up the door, and then ran out my front door, yeah! <laughs> but then I remembered there was still like three or four seconds left. So, oh my God. You know, Bird, this, that, and the other. My goodness gracious. I'm thinking, well, you know, the least they could do is go in overtime if Bird hits the shot. But Jesus fucking Christ almighty, am I fucking nervous. So I still remember the shot clear as day. Boston called that timeout. Bird had that wide open shot in the corner. Why were they switched off and left Bird wide open? I'll never know, but whatever. Bird got the ball in the corner, left corner, baseline, three-point line. As soon as he caught it wide open and went up for the shot, I said... Oh, no! Because <laughs> I just swore I thought the shot was going to go in. So he got it, took the shot, missed it at the buzzer. Again, joy, ecstasy, exultation, anything else as far as joy and pain, whatever, you know, sunshine and rain. Thank you very much, Frankie Beverly and Mace. Anything else that you want to throw in there as far as joy is concerned, any other adjective, that was me. So, and, and, the, and the other part was relief and just like, you know, like, oh my God, like, you know, like, like someone like, like playing Russian roulette, not that I've ever played Russian roulette, but for all you jackasses who play Russian roulette, when you spin that chamber, you put it up to your head and you hear the click and you're like, uh, uh, click, oh. Oh, it didn't go off. I'm still alive. That was the thing. Like I said, I've never played Russian roulette, so I don't know. But I can only imagine that was the same feeling when I saw a bird. Here I am, 18 years old. You know, I can only imagine when Bird missed that jumper to give the Lakers a 3-1 lead and basically the series was going to be over and Magic was going to be cemented at the best player who's ever played and the best player over Larry Bird, when he missed that shot, the relief was equivalent to someone playing Russian roulette and realizing that, you know what, the bullet wasn't in that chamber and I get to live. Woo, I don't go ahead and I don't Johnny Ace myself. Woo, thank goodness. Man, so when he missed that shot again, all I did was, yeah! Ran out the door, ran over to the door, opened up the door, front door, Ran out the front door, and this time I went halfway down the block. So not only did I, I wake, awaken my parents, 
I also awakened the entire half block. Because all I was doing, I had to unleash the joy. I had to unleash the relief. So here I am running down the block, 12-something at night on a Thursday night when all of my neighbors had to wake up the next morning and go to work. And here I am running down the street. Yeah! <laughs> Ooh, man, one of those neighbors would have would have uh, come out with a baseball bat and, and beat the hell out of me. It would be like, yeah, I understand. <laughs> Magic hits the junior hook. Yeah! Open the door. Yeah! Okay. Uh, uh. Uh-oh. Bird's wide open in the corner. Oh, no! He misses. Yeah! Open up the door. Yeah! <laughs> that's the reason why. You know. How can you not love sports, right? There you go. So that's what I'm watching right now. See, even reliving that is just kind of like giving me goosebumps. It's just giving me pumped up. I'm waiting on my next segment. After I finish my next segment, segment, I might run down. I might run down uh, the street here in Vegas, going, "Yeah, finish the segment, yeah." Maybe y'all should do that after you finish listening to my podcast. Is he done rambling? The podcast is over. He's finished. Yeah. Okay, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, man, the first round of the NBA playoffs in 2020 been great, man. Take away from the games that have been played in the bubble. Scoring and offense are off the charts. Man, They, I haven't seen scores like this that's, that's been going on in the first round of the playoffs. I haven't seen scores like this since the 1980s. I mean, you're talking about scores of 135 to 125, 127, 114, 128, 101, 130, 111, 124, 116, 135 to 132, 129, to 127, 150 to 122? I mean, Jesus, man. Everybody in the back of the day when they would criticize the NBA first because there was too many black players in it, then they would sit there and talk about, you know, no one didn't play defense until the third quarter of the playoffs. I mean, wasn't that Kareem's uh, MO? Wasn't that they used to uh, rip Kareem Abdul-Jabbar about that? He never crossed half court on defense. He only played hard in the playoffs, and uh he was... Wasn't physical enough. Well, it's like these numbers, man. No one plays defense in the third quarter. Well, in, in these games, no one's playing defense at all. I mean, the offense is way ahead of the defense in these playoff games. The Mavericks and the Clippers, their series, along with Denver and Utah. I mean, the scoring numbers that these guys are putting up. I mean, they would equate the scores at a NBA All-Star game the last couple of years. The Clippers and the Mavericks... They're averaging through four games, 123 and a half points per game. The Clippers, they've only outscored the Mavs by one point in the series. Now, the surprising part about the series is, yeah, we knew Dallas would give up big numbers on defense. During the regular season, even before the bubble season started, they ranked 16th, giving up 120, 112 points a game on defense. Damian Lillard scored 61 points against them in the bubble game. So the Low post presence of Christoph Porzingis ain't scaring nobody. There ain't no T.R. Dunn's or Andre Robertson's on that team. I mean, the team that Adrian, the team that Avery Johnson, co- Johnson coached, the 63-win Maverick team with Nowitzki and those guys who lost in the first round to Baron Davis and Stephen Jackson and those guys, 
when they were the number one seed and Golden State were the number eight seed and that was the year Nowitzki won the MVP and he had to accept the MVP while the finals or the conference finals were being played. I mean, that team didn't have any defense. That team couldn't play defense. And Johnson, who used to be a defensive-minded guy, was talking about preaching defense, defense, defense. It's like, look, man, you can't turn Dirk Nowitzki into a defensive player. He ain't. You can't turn those guys that you have on your floor right now into the San Antonio Spurs of Duncan and Robinson. You just can't. That's not who they are in terms of their physical, just their physical makeup. They're not one-on-one stoppers. So, you know, that's the same thing with Dallas. I mean, Dallas ain't going to stop anybody. Porzingis ain't going to stop anybody. Dantich is consistently ain't going to stop anybody. Harloway Jr. ain't going to stop anybody. Trey Burke, uh, Seth Curry, all of those guys, they ain't stopping nobody. Dorian Finney-Smith, maybe. I mean, he's out there for defense. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, possibly. I mean, he's got a defensive reputation. But for the most part, they're not going to get enough minutes. Maybe Finney-Smith, but those guys aren't going to get enough minutes to really make a difference in terms of their defense. Boban is a huge man who has been causing a lot of problems for the Clippers, but that's mainly on offense, not on defense. So really, with the Mavericks, they're going to have to outscore people. So for them upping their average in terms of offense once the playoffs started in this bubble, that's not surprising. The surprising part about this series, the Clippers and the Magic, uh, um, the Clippers and the um, Mavericks, in terms of the scoring explosion is how awful and inept the Clippers have been on defense. Yes, I'll say it, the Clippers, in terms of their defensive ineptitude. I mean, we're a top five defense this season. You've got Paul George, you've got Kawhi Leonard, you've got Pat Beverly, you've got Montrez Harrell. They're all really good defenders. Now, Beverly has not played since game one. He's nursing a calf industry, uh, industry and an injury. Monte, Montrez Harrell is still trying to fight off the, risk, the, the rust because of a family situation, death in the family. He had to go back and leave the bubble, so he had to uh, come back and go through the quarantine, so he really hasn't played, so he's not in basketball playing shape. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, they haven't fully accepted the challenge of playing Dantich on a consistent basis. You notice the last play of the game, of the game-winning shot in game four that Luka hit, who was guarding him. It wasn't Kawhi, it wasn't Paul George, it was Reggie Jackson who was getting toasted by Dantich all game long. Now, the shot that he hit was outstanding and unbelievable. And it's like, fuck it, you're going to hit that shot? What the hell? But still, I, I, I was just shocked how easily on that last play and in other instances during the game, how easily that uh, Kawhi Leonard capitulated and let the switch happen to whether you know it was Reggie Jackson or Zubac or somebody that he was uh, that they were left to get roasted by Dantich on a consistent basis, either by Lucas scoring or setting up his shooters for easy shots. So I'm just surprised. I'm, I'm just absolutely surprised. And, it's, and while Luca is otherworldly, while Luca is the best player in the game, while Luca is a transformable talent, while Luca is putting on uh, a series for the ages, while all of these things are true, this ain't a one-man show. Because as far as on offense is concerned, they, Dallas has been great even when he hasn't been on the floor, speaking of Dodge. Dallas is scoring 124 points per 100 possessions in the 55 minutes that Dodge had been on the bench. So all of this stuff, I'm looking at like, the, wow, I'm going to get, I'm going to get into the Clippers in the, um, I'm going to get into the Clippers and the Mavericks a little bit later, but 
That's one thing taking a look at that surprised me, man. You take a look at the Denver-Utah series. Utah is averaging 125 points a game. And the lowest point total they've had in this series is 124. They've done that twice. Dallas is doing great. Utah is even better. Denver is averaging 111 points per game. And this is a series where they got blown out in game three, let go of the rope. And that game scored only 87 points. Toronto is leading all of the playoff teams averaging 126 points a game. What was the last time that you saw a playoff team average 126 points per game at any time during the playoffs? But they scored in game four against Brooklyn, they scored 150 points. In the case where their starters only scored 50. Their bench scored 100 points. Wow. So I, it's, it's been crazy, man. It's been wild. And... You know, you think about the amount of scoring that's been going on. They've been doing this without running a traditional fast break. I'm up here, again, watching Game 4 of the 1987 NBA Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. There is no showtime. There are no three-on-two fast breaks in these playoffs in 2020. I mean, that traditional L.A. type of three-on-two, two-on-one fast break where you have James Worthy coming in for the Statue of Liberty dunk and... and um, Byron Scott coming in off the uh, right wing for a dunk or those type of things. Magic Johnson in the middle. Your traditional three-on-two break, which people run as far as drills are concerned since they're in the kindergarten in terms of playing basketball. That's not happening now in today's game. Because now you have the shooting guard on a three-on-two fast break. He's going to go straight to the corner for a corner three-pointer. And um, there's really not the point guards with the ferocity and the speed and the genius in the open court in those type of situations like a, like a Magic Johnson or like an Isaiah Thomas or like a John Stockton. Chris Paul has that type of genius as a point guard, but because he's 35 years old and he's not running with a Carl Malone type athlete, he's not running the floor with a James Worthy type athlete. So even if he does get on the break playing for OKC, uh, Gallinari is not going to go out there and replicate James Worthy in a feasible way. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander is not going to emulate Byron Scott coming on the right wing for a yam over somebody. So, you know, today's point guards, at least in these conference finals, or at least in these uh, playoffs so far, I haven't seen any real fast breaks like I'm seeing here watching the uh, games back in the day. So these guys are pulling up monster numbers, monster numbers without, uh, you know, really... You know, racing up and down the court. This hasn't been like the Golden State Warriors of Don Nelson. This hasn't been, you know, Mike D'Antonio, eight seconds uh, eight seconds or left when he was with Phoenix. So, interesting, interesting. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Eastern Conference. I think I know a lot more about the Eastern Conference than I do the Western Conference in terms of the playoffs is concerned. I think Toronto and Boston, the number two and three seeds respectively in the conference. They're playing the best basketball of all the teams in the Eastern Conference. And I would even say in the, um, I would even say in the playoffs so far, as far as Eastern and Western Conference, I know the last uh, couple of games, the Lakers have blown out Portland, but game three was kind of, okay, you know, whatever, nice, but could have been proved. Lakers played much better in game four. I think Portland right now is taking a look to see like, okay, when's our flight time? When's our next game? So can we get out? Can we like leave to go back home? The night as soon as we lose, or can we? Do we have to wait another day and leave in the morning because I'm ready to go? But um, so the Lakers have joined. Uh, they're playing great party pretty late. I think Utah played very well, but I think and you can equate this to the competition. But I think as far as the teams that I've seen, 
Boston and Toronto have looked the best. Now, again, it makes it easier when your first-round opponents are the depleted Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets and the dysfunctional Philadelphia 76ers without their best defender and one of their best players, Ben Simmons. But Toronto and Boston have done what they need to do, which is to get out them brooms and sweep, sweep, sweep. So that's, their series starts on Thursday. Interested. Could be the best series with the possibility of the Clippers and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals if the Clippers are fortunate enough to get by the Dallas Mavericks, uh, Boston, and really if the Lakers are fortunate enough to get past either the uh, Rockets or even the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's a, that's a pretty good series also. But, you know, Boston and Toronto evenly match. You're speaking about Toronto this postseason with the second-best offense and the second-best defense. The Celtics, on the other hand, also have the third best offense and the third and the fourth best defense. There's no other teams in the top six rankings on both ends of the court. So we're looking at teams. Jason Tatum's been playing great. Kemba Walker has yeah, been like the anti-Kyrie that the team needed. You remember that last season, the Boston Celtics were this season's Philadelphia 76ers in terms of I just hate everybody. I just hate my teammates. I cannot wait to get the fuck out of here. And as soon as there's going to be just a smidgen of adversity, I'm done. I'm gone. Thanks, Kyrie. Kemba Walker has been the complete opposite in terms of his attitude, in terms of his consistency as just a guy where who's not like kooky, unique, strange. I don't know what you call Kyrie. I guess depending on how much you like Kyrie, but you know, there hasn't been any type of unevenness, no bipolarism, no, uh, you know, what the hell am I going to be walking into today with this guy? Steady. So Walker has been awesome. First playoff series in his nine-year career, he's averaging four, uh, 24 points, shooting 49% from the field. He's almost has a 4-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Jason Tatum, who should have, I should have introduced him to my beautiful, wonderful, fabulous, intelligent Lovely goddaughter, Sydney Davis, because I need that generational wealth to come down on me so I can get my townhome in Vancouver, my place over in Monaco, my place over in, in Pelry. They'll be set for life, but that's another story for another podcast. Just kidding, Sydney. But Jason Tatum has looked fantastic. Now, yes, how good would he have looked if Ben Simmons would have been guarding him? Well, that's another debate for another day, but he's taken advantage of it. He's averaging 27 points, 10 rebounds, 48% shooting, 45% from three points on seven and a half attempts per night. He had 15 rebounds, a career playoff high, 15 rebounds in the game four sweep of the uh, 76ers. Jalen uh, Brown has been playing fabulous. The only, like, the only deal in terms of concern, which is not like a surprise, is the fact that the Boston big men, how was Daniel Tice going to hold up. I mean, he came out, what? I mean, Brad Stevens, basically great Popovized uh, um, Daniel Tice, what, about 15 seconds into the game, got a foul, and he was kind of like, get out. Enos, go in for uh, Daniel. Get him out. Get him out. I get they said in the pregames, look, Daniel, don't foul Joel Embiid the first play of the game. He fouled Joel Embiid in the first play of the game. Are you fucking kidding me? Enos, get his German ass out of there. <laughs> Dunk a shade, I don't know, but uh, but you know the the combination of Ennis Canner, Robert Williams, you know, break glass in case of emergency, and Daniel Tice. Going to be interesting to see how he goes up against Marcus Saul. Not the banger or not the scoring threat with the back to the basket or looking to score like 
Joel Embiid is, speaking of Marc Gasol, but we're speaking about a guy who anchors the defense, moves the ball around very well, is a very, very intelligent basketball player. He's in much better shape, speaking of Marc Gasol, and he's going to be giving those guys a little bit more of a challenge. And because of the defense, well, Embiid is not very good on the perimeter. He'll be able to, A, when Tice is in the game, keep him occupied at the three-point line in terms of, uh, you know, I'm going to be out there. You're going to have a little bit more of a difficult time shooting these shots. And also, his ability to keep Edith Canner, a very good offensive rebounder, off the glass. So, it'll be good, man. I'm looking forward to the series. The Toronto Raptors, as I mentioned before, I think they're playing the best basketball in the uh, playoffs so far. Their bench is strong. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is playing himself into a big money contract. I don't know how much free money that the New York Knicks have. I don't know how much free money the, well, I don't get to, after signing Tobias Harris and all these other guys, the Philadelphia 76ers don't have any type of free money. But could you imagine a Fred Van Vliet on the Philadelphia 76ers team and a coach who isn't afraid to confront Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons about their lack of professionalism? How good of a team that the 76ers would be? Well, Van Vliet, Van Vliet is going to get paid and he's playing extremely well. And his responsibilities might be heightened because of the status of Kyle Lowry, who got an MRI on the arch of his left foot after playing only nine minutes in Game 4 on Sunday. Raptors coach Nick Nurse said the team is looking at the arch and not the ankle after previously saying that Lowry left the game because of a turned left ankle. Also, a lot of turned ankles. Or, yeah, I mean, you got uh, Doncic with a turned ankle. I mean, think a couple of other guys are dealing with uh, ankle injuries. Not good. But, uh, you know, the Raptors were 12-2 and two in games without Lowry this season. Not saying that, you know, it's a no big deal. But you know what? Lowry is facing injury. The Celtics don't have uh, Gordon Hayward because of his uh, injury. That's going to keep him out four weeks. Just interesting to see. It's going to be a good It's going to be a good series. There's no home court advantage or anything like that. Pascal Siakam versus um, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. That's going to be a really good matchup. I'm uh, just interested. Serge Ibaka has been great coming off the bench. OG Ananobi, he's been playing great basketball. So it'll be interesting to see how that series goes now. I'll talk about it a little bit later once the series starts so I can kind of give you a little bit more info because of how they were doing in the first couple of games. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The number one seed in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks. God, man, I don't know about this team. They've been so hard to define, you know? I don't I, what they've been doing, they've been underwhelming, I guess you could say, with the Orlando Magic. Yeah, they're up three games to one. Yes, they seem that they've righted the ship. I think because of what Donovan Mitchell's been doing, and especially because of what Luka Doncic's been doing, I think Giannis has been kind of like flying under the radar in terms of his performance so far in the playoffs. It's been exceptionally good, if anybody's paying attention. But it hasn't been great. Luka's has been breathtaking. All inspiring. Donovan's have been mesmerizing, spectacular. Giannis has been, we've seen this before, and you're playing the Orlando Magic without his best defender, Jonathan Azik. What have you done for me lately? That type of thing. So, you know, he's been he's been good. I mean, against Orlando's, he's had four straight games of 25 points, 10 rebounds, five assists. He's averaging 31, 16, and 7 for the series. He's shooting the three balls a little bit more. I think he's averaging five three-point shots per game, even though he's not shooting a great percentage. The fact that he's even thinking about taking three-point shots can give him a couple of opportunities to Euro-step and, and dipsy-do his way to the basket for fouls, dunks, and wide-open looks. 
for his um, other shooters off penetration. So, you know, against Orlando in game four, 31 points, 14 to 21 from the field, one of five from the three, two of six. Mark that down in terms of a concern as far as the free throws are concerned. But, you know, he's going to give you 31, 15 rebounds, eight assists. That's a night for Giannis. Giannis now is in the park where, you know, these types of things aren't like, wow, did you see what Giannis did? He put up 27, 13, and 7. Yeah? He's been doing this now for two years. What the big fuck? Let me know when he scores. Let me know when he has 50, 25, and 16. You know, then I'll sit there and go, wow. You know, and and go four for seven from the three-point line. You know, then and seven for seven from the free throw line. Then I'll say, wow. But, you know, I mean, you know, Giannis yamming over somebody after a spin move. You know, splitting the defense in the middle. Been there, done that. So, I don't want to say... Giannis has reached the superstar status to where, you know, when Jordan started doing something miraculous at the first couple of times, it was fantastic. But then he did it so often and his level was so high, we kind of took it for granted and then said, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, to people like Charles Barkley and Carl Malone. Same thing with LeBron James, same thing with Kobe Bryant, same thing with Shaquille O'Neal. Now the shiny new object for us eyes is Luka Dantich and Donovan Mitchell during the playoffs. And meanwhile, out there in the Eastern Conference, the... Bucks are playing some team called the Orlando Magic. And uh, he's doing what he needs to do. So the next round, we'll see. He's playing Miami. Miami looked good against Indiana, sweeping them out of the way. But the Bam Adebayo, Giannis Adenokupo matchup is going to be a marquee matchup. Giannis shot 12 of 28 from the field when defended by Adebayo in the regular season. As I mentioned before, plenty of time. Bam has the motor, he had the athleticism, he had the length, he had the girth, he has the strength to bother Giannis, not stop Giannis, but bother Giannis, and if Giannis is going to insist on putting his head down and flying down the court in the middle and rely on Euro steps and and spin moves and dipsy-doos, then, you know, more than any other team, maybe outside of Toronto, Miami has the best formula to deal with that and the best player to deal with that in terms of, again, not stopping, but making it a little bit more difficult. So, yeah, man, these uh, playoffs have been wild, have been crazy, have been interesting. Blowouts, tight games, buzzer beaters, overtimes, players stepping up, players stepping down. I'm looking forward to the end of the first round and getting into the second round. And speaking of... Uh, the first round. Speaking of the best series so far, yeah. Oklahoma City, Houston, they've been good. But as far as, I guess, marquee names, marquee mar- um, uh, matchups, marquee markets going at it, the best series so far has been Dallas and L.A. Let me talk to you about that after this.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let's get to the best game of the playoffs so far. Game four between the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Mavericks were playing without Kristaps uh, Porzingis because of a sore knee. Dallas got down by 21, and you thought to yourself, all right, well, three to one. Let me hear and start talking about the Lakers and the, not the Lakers, but the Clippers and the uh, either the Denver Nuggets or the Utah Jazz, whoever they're going to be playing next. And it seems like after that game two kind of eh, stumble there that the Lake, that the Clippers are going to go ahead and move past the series in five games and without Porzingis and Doncic on a hobbled ankle, it's, Going to be a nice little walk in the park. So games four and five are going to pretty much go according to plan. And the Clippers are going to move on. No, 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 said Luka Doncic. No, 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 said Trey Burke. No, 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 said uh, Steph Curry. No, no, no. Is Seth or Steph? Steph, Seth? It's like the Diaz brothers. Nick or Nate? Which one is the other one? Steph? I don't know. The Curry brother. The 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 um, the, uh, the one with the sideburns. No, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, the, the, the lesser, uh, the lesser Curry brother. Those guys said no. Rick Carlisle said no. Bobon said no. And they came back, man. Those motherfuckers came back to stun the Clippers 135, 133 in overtime on a shot, on this shot from the best player in the world right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the legend, the legend of Luka Doncic. To Doncic. Doncic pulls up three pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Doncic wins the game at the buzzer! The call courtesy of Mike Bream and ABC. There you go, man. Look at Doncic, man. My goodness gracious. I'm sorry, fellas. That's the best player in the world right now. Sorry, LeBron fans. Sorry, Kawhi fans. Sorry, Giannis fans. Sorry. That boy is bad. Now, things might change. They're going to be playing here in about five hours as I'm recording this. I'll probably bring this out, and they'll be playing within two hours of when this is going to be published. So, who knows, man? Maybe Luka goes 8 for 27, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard step up, and all of a sudden, the Clippers win by 20, and everything is all right with the world in Clipperland. But as of this moment right now, despite the 30 and 10 that LeBron James put up against Portland the other night or last night, man, Luka Dantich is the best player, basketball player, walking this planet, and maybe others. I don't know what kind of player they have on Mars, Jupiter, or Saturn, but boy, they better be some bad motherfuckers out there to be competing with this young guy from Slovenia, because he is the man. Look, the Clippers were in full control early. They were taking a they had a 54-33 lead in the second quarter. I myself started cleaning up a little bit, started even going to the point where I was going to use the game as just background noise to kind of you know keep me company as I'm taking care of some chores around the house but man between the moment that the Clippers took that 54-33 lead in the second quarter to where the end of the third quarter where the Mavericks led 93-85 let me do the math for you Dallas outscored LA 62-29 to holy shit <laughs> And nobody can stop that man. Kawhi Leonard, the best two-way player in the game. Outside of Giannis, possibly the only other person that you can put on there. No, stop with Jimmy Butler. The best person that you could even compare, come close to what Kawhi does, both on the offensive and defensive end, is, is um, Giannis Adenokupo. Against him, against Leonard, Dante went 
5 of 9 for 12 points. Against Reggie Jackson, as I mentioned before, he toasted them for 4 for 4 shooting and the game-winning shot. Against Jermichael Green, he was 2 for 2. The best guy who was guarding against him was Marquise Morris Sr. Against him, he went 2 for 5. But against Paul George, he was 1 for 3. Against Zubac, he was 1 for 3. He was 2 for 2 with 4 points in transition. 24 of the 31 attempts were contested, and he still hit 18 of them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, bruh. Luka Doncic, and I'll say it, that white boy is bad. <laughs> Luka Doncic is the best player in the world. TNT, the NBA offices, and the TNT uh, uh, folks, and the ESPNs, and the NBA TVs, the NBA League Pass, look no further. We were trying to say it was Zion. We were trying to promote Giannis, and those two might come to fruition. I was mentioning maybe a Ja Moran. I was mentioning some other players out there. As of this moment, this one moment in time, when I'm more than I thought I could be, when all of my dreams were a heartbeat away. And the answer to this question is Luka Dantich in terms of, he's the man. He is the man. He ain't from the hood. He ain't black. He didn't grow up playing AAU basketball. He didn't play basketball in the streets of Chicago or Philadelphia or D.C. or Houston or L.A. or New York City. He didn't play at Rucker Park. He wasn't Americanized in terms of learning the game. He didn't come over here when he was a 14-year-old and went to IMG Academy or any of these other prep schools. He wasn't coached by Steve Smith over at Oak Hill, he didn't play for Stu Vetter over at Flint Hill. He didn't play for Monroe's Christian. He didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't play in the IEBYL. He didn't play in at Finley Prep. He didn't play at Bishop Gorman, these basketball factories. No, the best player walking the, the earth today, the best player since LeBron James as of this moment, is a guy who has been playing basketball since he was 16 years old, overseas and he was born and he was raised in Slovenia wow wow that's awesome <laughs> that, that's awesome and again he is perfect for the league let's put it he, he is but for those who have been bemoaning the fact that where is the next Larry Bird going to come from where is the next white superstar that we can that we can have in this league bingo you've got him he is a gift in terms of his potential. I don't know, man. Maybe he... I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? But as of right now, oh my goodness gracious, Luca, Luca, Luca. For those who are doubting the NBA, Luca, 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 Luca. For those who say the NBA, what are they going to do after LeBron James? Luca, 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 Luca. For those, how are the NBA, is the NBA going to fall off the cliff once LeBron James leaves the league? Luca, 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 Luca. That is the thing Right there. That's the answer to all questions. It ain't Giannis, 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 Giannis. It ain't Zion, 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 Zion. It's Luca, 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 Luca. If I'm a TV exec, if I'm an advertiser, if I'm the NBA, if I'm in the NBA offices, if I'm Adam Silver, I, that is my man. Y'all did it with Michael Jordan. Y'all did it with Magic Johnson. Y'all did it with Kobe Bryant. Y'all did it with LeBron James. Y'all tried to do it with Andrew Wiggins. Y'all tried to do it with uh, with Zion. Let's start the, I mean, Van Gundy, Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, right, rightfully so, are already slurping this kid. Stan Van Gundy is already slurping this kid. How many times have we heard the term, the, 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 the names, Magic, 
Bird, LeBron, Jason Kidd. How many times have we heard those comparisons? I've said it myself. We're speaking about Luka when you're watching these games. They've already started. The NBA machine, it don't take long. Let's start concentrating. Some of that shine, some of that spotlight. Take uh, Wait a minute. It's like, wait a minute. Take the champagne bottles away from the Giannis locker room. Bring them over to the Luka locker room. Those champagne bottles with the endorsements. Those champagne bottles with the attention. Those champagne bottles with the spotlight. Those champagne bottles with the, this is who we're going to promote the advertisers. The champagne bottles, and this is how we're going to grow our sport. Take them out of the Giannis and Denikupo locker room. Leave a few bottles in there. But send that Dom Perignon, send that expensive champagne and wine and put it in the Luka Doncic's corner because that's going to be the man that's going to take us into the uh, 2030 season. That's going to take us into the 2032 season. The way he's playing right now, again, am I being hyperbolic about this? Maybe, but I'm speaking in the moment right now. I'm speaking in the moment. This is the best thing going for the NBA right now. Now, and it might not be showing up on TV ratings, but give it time. Give it time. Let these advertisers, let these NBA execs, let these TV execs, let these TV folks who know how to make stars, who know how to manipulate the public. I mean, shit, doesn't TNT, isn't that the home of Ryan Seacrest? Isn't that the home of the Kardashians? Isn't that the home of those motherfuckers who they've turned ordinary jackasses with a nice... With nice-looking females with big asses, that they turn them into megastars? Let the folks who have been running those those TV programs have been making stars out of those people. Let them get a hold to Luka Doncic in terms of what they can do. What they can do. Let TNT get a hold of Luka Doncic, and the NBA says make him a star. Woo, woo! Let ESPN. Who has who are paying big dollars for the NBA? Let them let their advertising, let their promotional machine get a hold of Luka Doncic and say, make him a star. Woo! NBA is going to be doing fine. The NBA is going to be doing fine for a long time, at least for the next ten to twelve years. As I mentioned before, unless he falls off a cliff, in terms of he. All of a sudden, starts feeling himself, and he—I don't know—I don't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem that way. If he hasn't done it yet, I don't know why he would do it now. But you know, you never know. You never know. But God willing, I hope he doesn't. I hope there isn't some type of injury or nothing. I hope he fulfills his potential because if he does, woo! The white boy's got some swag to him, man. That guy is something else. He plays in a major market. Dallas is a top five media market. You could tell. Like I mentioned before, it's a swag, man. The, brother, the, the white boy's got some brother in him, you know what I'm saying? You can tell that he's been immersed in black culture, and he's comfortable being himself with the fellas. I mean, this is a guy, he has no fakeness toward him. I mean, there ain't no wiggerness to him. You know, you know, you know how, you know what the wiggers are, right? You know, white boy, you think the niggas, you know, he's got a little bit of that in him, but it ain't fake, it ain't phony. It is something where, you know, people are walking away saying, man, get out of here. I mean, he ain't one of them guys where he's going to be walking around talking about, oh, don't worry, yeah, I can say the N-word because, you know, my, my boys are black. I mean, you know, he's, he's aware. He's been around either black people or black culture enough to be like, this is the way it's supposed to be. You know, and I... 
I've said that. I said the one thing before. There's nothing better in terms of marketing than a white guy who can who's got a little black in him, but he ain't black. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's the guy who's like, look, immersed with the black culture, but I'm still white. I know that I'm white. I ain't trying to be black, but because I've been surrounded by this, because my environment hasn't been devoid of black folks, I kind of understand why are y'all, you know, I understand the, I understand the struggle without thinking I know what the struggle is. You know, I don't need to pity you. I don't need to patronize you in terms of what your efforts are and all those type of things. I understand where you're coming from, but I'm comfortable in my own skin. I know who I am as a person. I know where I come from. I know who what my background is. I know all of these things. I'm just comfortable being me around whoever. So I act in this way around the brothers, and then I go across the railroad tracks and act, act differently with folks of my own skin color. Now, this is who I am. And as I mentioned before, white girls love a black, white girls love a white guy who's got a little blackness in him who ain't black. And he knows he ain't black, but he still got that in him. And before y'all start shaking your head, remember all throughout history, all throughout time, white folks have been stealing stuff that we've created. They've been stealing our style. They've been stealing our dance. They've been stealing our moves. They've been stealing our handshakes. They've been stealing our songs. They've been stealing our walk. They've been stealing our talk for centuries. Centuries. <laughs> and I'm making no bones about it. So they stole our music. They stole our, uh, the way that we dress. They stole the way that, the, you know, they, they stole a lot of things from us and claimed it to be theirs. Right? I mean, y'all still claiming rock and roll music? Y'all trying to do that bullshit about Elvis is still the king of rock and roll and all that bullshit? Y'all are still trying to use that bullshit about Benny Goodman is the king of jazz and not Miles Davis or Charlie Parker or, or Dizzy Gillespie or, or Louis Armstrong? You know, y'all still trying to throw Dizzy Gillespie in there? You know, y'all still trying to promote Vanilla Ice? Bad example. But I mean, you know, I mean, Luca has got that Eminem quality to him, you know? Eminem is the man who can be invited to the barbecue and he can be just as fine going to our barbecue than any other barbecue because he knows who he is. He's comfortable with who he is. He got the knowledge of who he is and what we're all about in terms of, you know, of being kosher and that'll work. Same thing with Luka Dantich. You know, Luka's got that coolness to him. Luka's got that swag to him. Luka's got that confidence to him. Luka's got that airness to him. He's got that, he's got that charisma. You know what I'm saying? And the man is only 21 years old. The way that he handled that interview at the end of the game when he hit that game-winning shot, the, the way he conducts himself on the court with the confidence, with the swag, how can you not want to follow that guy? How can you not want to jump as, you know, how how can you not want to say how high when he says jump? How can you not want to be around that guy? How can you not want to be hanging with that man? Kid's only 21 years old. He just turned 21 years old. And people are talking about, well, shit, man, that's amazing. You know, think about what you, where you were when you were 21 years old. This guy's been playing in the wars over in Europe as far as the basketball leagues are concerned when he was 16. If you thought we were stupid, immature, know-nothing knuckleheads when we were 21, just think about what we had to go through and we had to go overseas from another, to another country and try to play basketball as a 16 and 17-year-old. I can tell you one thing. I would not be alive today. Or I'd either be in a jail cell or a drug rehab center if I had to do the things that Luka Doncic had to do starting off at 16 years old. The kid is special, and he's not a kid. The man is special. 
21 years old, you're a man now. Man is special. And he's just starting to live his life. A life is just beginning when you're like 21, 22 years old, you know, when you leave the nest. For Luca, that shit started when he was 16. He officially started becoming an adult and acting like an adult and having the responsibilities of an adult when a man was 16 years old. Goddamn. No wonder that's the man. Did you see the way that he, how he handled that Montrez Herald situation? Did you see the way, did you see the way, look at the way the brothers give that man respect. He's got it, man. He's got it. And he's a dream. He is a marketing dream. Love Luka Doncic. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Legendary performance. Doncic with the game time decision due to a left ankle he hurt in game three. The man put up 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists for a second straight triple-double. And the thing, it looked like for the first, I would say, four or five minutes, he played like he was really being hampered by that ankle. I mean, right off the gate, he wasn't controlling the ball as much as he normally does. So I thought that that ankle would probably compromising him. I thought with the possibility that as the league got larger and larger, that Carlisle would pull a Popovich and be like, you know what, man? You know, I, I, if you're going to be limping and not being as effective as we need you to be in a game that's a 21-point lead for the Clippers, a strong Clipper team who looks like they're going to be on their way to victory, there's no need for you to be out there. We'll save you for another day. I don't need heroes. I need players. So there you go. But Carlisle, who coached a brilliant game, by the way, I mean, completely outcoached Doc Rivers, who's another elite coach in this league. I mean, everybody has bad days. Fuck it. Um, he was great. He kept him in there, and Dantich, it was like, I don't know if it was just a matter of him trying to feel what he could and what he couldn't do for the first few minutes, but once he figured it out, man, that guy was unflipping believable Unbelievable. I can, it's it's going to be interesting. If that ankle gets better, I I, I don't know what, how, what type of performance he's going to put on tonight, because he knows that the Clippers are going to come out like gangbusters. And I'm saying this, I'll say this multiple times in this podcast. I think Paul George is going to have a huge game. I'm recording this right now at 1.30 in the afternoon on a Tuesday, August 25th. I'll say this right now. I think Paul George is going to have a huge game tonight, game five for the Clippers. So you know that Luka's got to be ready. But let's also give some credit, man, to guys like Trey Burke, who was awesome in game five, in game four, uh, Curry, uh, Seth Curry, who was awesome in game four. Boban, in the minutes that he gave, was instrumental in that comeback. I mean, the Mavericks played well, and the defense, they were flustering, frustrating the L.A. Clippers. I'll talk about that in a second with the Clippers, but they were actually playing defense, strong defense. And here's Luka Doncic on a bad ankle, 22 feet away from the basket, at the top of the key extended, guarding Paul George and keeping him in front of him. Paul George. Look, I, I'm i still going to go with the, with the uh, Clippers to win this either in six or seven. And if the Clippers win tonight, I'll say the Clippers in six. If the Mavericks win tonight, I'll say Clippers in seven. Well, of course, I just said that the Clippers were going to win the series. So, duh, they go down three to two. They're not going to win the series nine, four. But, um... The way that the Mavericks are playing right now, if the Clippers can get by this, if the Clippers can win this series, which I'm predicting they are, 
I think it makes them a much better team moving forward. And then, you know, you have uh, Montrez Harrell rallying in the shape. Patrick Beverly, hopefully they'll get him back, even if it's just for spot minutes. But this is a real, real challenge for the Los Angeles Clippers, more than any other playoff series. I mean, we take a look at Utah and Denver. That was kind of, uh, you know, should be, but you never know. The Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, Houston, but, you know, Chris Paul, you never know. Indiana and Miami, well, Indiana can't score. But for more than all of these, if you take a look at the, everybody was talking Lakers and Portland, and Portland might have a chance. I told you it was going to be the Lakers and five. Who's going to stop Anthony Davis on that team from the Trailblazers? If you cannot rebound the Memphis Grizzlies and the Brooklyn Nets, what do you think you're going to do against the Lakers of Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard pounding the boards and LeBron James when he had the feeling to go out there and do that? You know, Portland didn't have a chance. Um, but uh, for all of the series, man, the biggest surprise so far, maybe not the play so much of Luka Doncic, but the fact that after two games, the Clippers and the Mavericks are tied with the possibility, shall we say, that they are a Luka Doncic magical game away from taking a 3-2 to two series lead. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So, exactly what is going on with the Los Angeles Clippers, especially what's happening in the playoff P, Paul George, PG, what is going on? After the game, Doc Rivers called out his team's mental toughness by basically saying, you know what, tonight, we were mentally weak. I think probably all the above. Honestly, I I thought we got to lead... um, and stop playing and, and give them credit they kept playing um, you know I thought that end of the second that whole second quarter they'll make it around get back in the game changed the whole complexity of the game but honestly uh, I thought we were very emotionally weak tonight uh, to be honest Any Andrew, if I knew that, I would be Sigmund Freud. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're up 20 and we're getting technical fouls. You know, things like that just give the team juice, you know. Um, we, we just, throughout, I've been saying this for three games now, we, we're just, we're so much better than what we're playing. Um, but honestly, give Dallas credit. Like, they could have threw it in. we get up 21. They're, they're minus Przingis. But they didn't. They just stayed in the game. They, they just kept playing. They played together. They moved the ball. And you can see the difference in the spirits. Like, they make a run and everybody's excited. You know, they make a run on us and, and, and we don't, we cave in. So that's on all of us. Me too. I got to get our guys right. So there you have it. LA got the lead, stopped playing, gave Dallas credit for not giving up despite the reasons. 
why no one would blame them if they did. The entire second quarter changed the game. He doesn't know why they're so mentally weak. You would be Sigmund Freud if he do if he did know that. Talked about being up twenty and getting technical fouls. What's up with that bullshit? Um, you know, took the blame for not getting his players in better spirits during the game. Look, he was right, man. It all came down to that second quarter, that fateful second quarter. You know, they got complacent after being up. Porzingis wasn't playing, so they figured, "Fuck it, we're gonna win." And then. When guys like Trey Burke and Seth Curry and all those guys started, you know, making shots and the lead started dwindling, they panicked. So it was just a procession of jump shots after jump shots after jump shots. At first, they were shooting the shots because they were lazy. We're up, we're winning, we're putting it in cruise control. Now, look, I wasn't there to check their emotions. I wasn't there in the timeouts. I wasn't on, I wasn't there on the court. So I can't say this with 100% guarantee, but just from taking a look at the game, it looked like they were up by 21 and they were just kind of like, you know, playing, but really had no sense of urgency. And then when the Mavericks started coming back and coming back and coming back and they saw the momentum changing, I thought the Clippers started to get a little panicky. And they started taking jump shots out of uh, out of hero ball. They basically started playing hero ball. They tried to hit a five-run home run shot. You know, it's like the football team where, you know, they're up by a certain amount of points and then you know, the other team comes back and they start scoring and they start scoring and they start moving the ball. And all of a sudden, when the offense comes on the field, instead of running the ball and trying to take some time off the clock, all of a sudden, they start throwing bombs and they start throwing, uh, you know, uh, go routes and all this kind of stuff. And they go three and out, three and out, three and out. And all of a sudden, you know, the team, that football team is back in the, back in the game. Same thing here with the basketball game, game four against the Mavericks. The Lakers, I mean, excuse me, the Clippers, yeah, yeah, you know, we're up by 21. I'll take this shot. I'll take this shot. You know, really no consequences for that because we're going to win the game. But then all of a sudden, like, oh, shit, now the lease down to 15. Now the lease down to 12. Now the lease down to 10. Now the lease down to 8. And they tried to get it all back with threes. And when you go one for 11 in the second quarter on three-point shots, what are you doing shooting three-point shots when you're missing 10 of them? Not good. So you take a look at the Clipper possession after being up 21 with 7.33 left to go in the second quarter. Jermichael Green gets a technical foul. Landry Shamit misses a 26-foot three-point attempt. The Clippers are still up by 19, so who gives a fuck? George Paul and Paul George miss a 24-foot three-point pull-up shot. Kawhi misses. Kawhi Leonard misses a 27-foot three-point jumper. Now the lead is down to 16. Landry Shamit misses another three-point jumper from 23 uh, feet. Paul George misses another 25-foot three-point jumper. All of a sudden now, the Clippers are only up by 11, 57-46. Oh, shit. Now Kawhi Leonard misses another 25-foot three-point jumper. Reggie Jackson misses another 25-foot uh, three-point jumper. The lead is under 10. Now it's 57-48. Landry Shamit misses another 25-foot three-point jumper. Kawhi Leonard, Leonard misses another three Point shot from 26 feet. All of a sudden, it's 64-56. So again, from the three-point line, from the three-point line in the second quarter, one for 11. And instead of having a 22-23 at the very least, 17-18 point lead going into halftime, all of a sudden now you got the Mavericks full of fire, full of life, full of vigor, full of enthusiasm, full of hope, only down by eight. And the Clippers are sitting there going, "What the fuck just happened? Oh, we still have to keep playing." Look, two players for the Clippers scored over 
scored almost half of their 133 points. No, in fact, they scored more than the than half of their 133 points scored in Game 4. Kawhi Leonard had 32. Lou Williams scored 36. And when you take a look at Paul George and Marcus, Marcus Morris and Landry Shamit, the other three starters and players needed on to do well, they combined to shoot 9 for 31 from the floor. 4 17 from the three-point range. It ain't going to get it done. It ain't going to get it done. And speaking of players, surprisingly, who are not getting it done. George, Paul George, where have you gone, Paul George? What has happened to you, Paul George? Mentally, what's going on, Paul George? Is there some type of physical ailment that you're not telling us, Paul George? Is there something going on at home that we're not privy to that's affecting your play, Paul George? What is going on, man? He was a complete no-show again, again in game four. Finished with 9 points, 3 of 14 shooting from the field, 1 of 7 from the 3-point line. For the series, he's shooting 29%. The man is shooting just 5 for 22. 5 for 22! That's 23% on open shots. And open shots is defined as having the closest defender be 4 to 6 feet away while in the act of shooting. And he's 4 of 15 on open shots from beyond the arc. Is he injured? I mean, if there's something going on at home that needs his attention, but he can't leave because he's in the bubble that's affecting his play, is he sick? Is he bored? Is he, you know, he, he, he hasn't had sex in a while. Does he need to have some sex from his woman or some, for a stripper or somebody to snap him out of it? What in the hell is going on? On wide open shots. That's defined as having the closest defender be more than six feet away while in the act of shooting. He's 0 of 9. Oh, of eight from beyond the arc. What is going on with Paul George? Yeah, you know, Doncic making that three-point shot at the buzzer for the win. That's great. But where was Paul George? Where was Paul George coming down the stretch? Paul George, when Kawhi was doing this thing, Paul George was on the other side of the court. Even with some action, Paul George wasn't. Paul George was completely... Paul George was like the guy who... He's the, like the last person we want to shoot. I'm watching this Lakers-Celtics game right now. I mean, they've got Kurt Rambis on the floor. Do you want to see Kurt Rambis in 1988, 1987, or any time when he was playing basketball professionally? Do you want to see him shoot 21-footers with the game in peril? I'm seeing Great Kite on the floor right now. Do you want to see Great Kite shoot 22-footers with the game in peril if you were a Boston Celtics fan back in 1987? Well, that's the same way that the Clippers were treating Paul George. Put him on the other side of the floor and let Lou Williams and 
Kawhi Leonard do their work, and, and maybe they'll set up something for Mark, uh, Marcus Morris or Reggie Jackson or Landry Shaman or somebody. But it looked like Paul George wanted no part of what was going on offensively. And defensively, not only was he being taken to the school by Luka Doncic, but also you're talking about guys like Trey Burke were taking them off the dribble. Uh, you know, Seth Curry was taking them off the dribble. What's going on with Paul George? I don't know. I don't know, man. This is the third time, you know, we have Luca making that three-point shot at the buzzer for the win. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. This is great, fantastic. That moment in time for playoff history. This is the third time now in the playoffs, in his playoff career, that Paul George has been on the wrong side of a miraculous basket at the buzzer, which they'll be playing over and over and over and over again for years to come. You remember the 2013 Eastern Conference Finals Game 1 between the Miami Heatles and him guarding LeBron James at, on a timeout with the game? I don't know if the game was tied or they were up by one, but let's hear the audio of James hitting the game-winning shot against Indiana in Game 1 of the 2013 Eastern Conference Finals. will inbound. West plays the inbound. Battier gets it in. Here's James on the drive for the win. Courtesy of Marv Albert, the great Marv Albert, Reggie Miller, and TNT. Now, from the audio, did you hear Miller pointing out that George didn't cut off the uh, drive, James's uh, drive to the basket? That's the first time that George was uh, was the victim of a miraculous play. Then we moved to Game 5 of the 2019 first round of the Western Conference playoffs. The see you later shot that Damian Lillard hit? Uh, yeah. That was that's what's that was courtesy of TNT, TNT. So, hey, look, man, Paul George should be the second player, or at the very least, the third best player on the court in this series. You want to make the argument that he should be playing, that he should be better than Luca based on, you know, his all-around game. You can go ahead and do that, but the way George is playing, he knows this. I don't think Paul George is sitting up there going, "Why not? Should be playing better? Really? I had no idea." So, I mean, you know, look. George knows, and that's the reason why I just think that this is going to be a guy, I think he's going to bounce back. I think he's going to bounce back strong. Now, what does bouncing back strong mean? I don't think Paul George is going to be scoring 35 points, and I don't think he's going to go Luka Dantich on the score sheet. But I think Paul George is going to play in a very important role, and I think he's going to be in, he's going to play a big role in terms of the Clipper tonight. I don't think he's going to disappear. I don't think he's going to shrink. If he does, and if he does in this series, we've got problems. The Clippers have got some real problems. Um, look, to get Kawhi, you had to get Paul George. So 
is it was a situation where, I mean, you had to do what you had to do because you do what you need to do to get Kawhi Leonard. That means sacrificing your future, then you go ahead and do it, especially when you have a coach like Doc Rivers, especially when you have the nucleus, especially when you have a front office like Lawrence Frank who can put a good team around Kawhi Leonard, especially with Kawhi wanting to go home, you would go to the assumption that Kawhi is going to be wanting to play in Los Angeles. He lives right down in San Diego in the offseason. So you would think that he would want to spend the majority of his prime, if if not all of his prime, in L.A. at home playing for the Clippers. Even though I think, didn't he grow up in Riverside? Whatever. But, um, so, yeah. So you do what you need to do and, you know, draft picks and what's going to be happening and, 2021 and 2023 and 2030. You don't worry about that shit, man. I mean, hell, we don't even know if we're going to be living during those times. So you worry about today. And if it means getting Kawhi Leonard to do what you need to do, do it. But man, it's a lot on the line for this guy. They gave up a lot to get Paul George. They gave up Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, Gallinari, Dino Gallinari, uh, Dortich, who's been playing well defensively for Oklahoma City. They gave up a first-round pick in 2020, a uh, uh, second-round pick in 2021. No, two first-round picks in 2021, a third-round pick in 2023, first-round pick in 2028. They gave up $17 million in cash. Basically, they gave up a lot for him. So he, he's got he's to get better. He's got to get better. I, I, enough of the isolation. If I'm Doc Rivers, and I'm not Doc Rivers, and I'm not qualified to be Doc Rivers, and I've never claimed to be Doc Rivers, I'm not knowledgeable in the game of basketball like Doc Rivers. I've never coached an NBA basketball team or worked with Paul George. So this is just from a novice's per, uh, per, uh, perspective. I, I would kind of cancel the isolation plays of him, you know, putting the ball on the floor and this, that, and the other, because he seems just to be settling too much. He seems to be settling for so many contested uh, three-point jumpers. I would see if I could get something off a curl, or I would get something where, you know, it's just a pick and pop in terms of, you know, catch and shoot or or something like that, or get, get in transition. I think getting him to go to the basket so we can get on the foul line, the best way to cure some of your ails if you're missing shots is to get to the free throw line and work your way out of a shooting slump that way. So possibly you get to do that. I think George is going to be much more aggressive in doing that. I don't think if they are going to isolate him from the top of the key or whatever, I don't think you're going to see him hesitate in terms of what he's been doing so far. But it's been a frustrating series for Paul George. I mean, you know, this is a guy who the first two games, he's got, he got technical fouls out of frustration with the referee. So I don't know. I don't know. And it just seems to be open season on Paul George, ain't it? I mean, you even got Seth Curry talking shit to him. I mean, you see that in the uh, second quarter or whenever he drove to the basket, Curry drove to the basket, converted an and one bucket, and as he was walking away, he uh, pointed his finger at George and called him a bitch ass. Damn, Seth Curry? Seth Curry? Now, there's some background to the situation. George dated Callie Rivers a few years back. Now, Callie Rivers is the daughter of Doc Rivers. Now, allegedly... And this is just allegedly, I wasn't there, so I don't know, but reportedly, George cheated on Callie and impregnated a stripper, which obviously ended their relationship on quite a bitter note. I'm quite sure that didn't end very well. Now, Seth just got married to Callie last year. So it's kind of like, you know, you basically cheated on my future wife, which should make the fact that George is playing for Doc Rivers even more interesting. So 
you have a man who you're relying heavily on to win your championship and become successful. You're relying on this guy who cheated on your daughter with a stripper. And not only did he cheat on her, he also impregnated the stripper while he was still hooking up with uh, your daughter. What what thing people will do to win championships? Interesting, interesting. So that's a reality show in the making right there. That's a that's a behind the behind the scenes story. That's a that's a book that being uh, being begged to be written. So we'll see. Again, I think George is going to have a I think George is going to have a strong game tonight. But uh, we'll see, we'll see. But game five in a couple of hours. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this. World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end with this. The rest of the NBA playoff series are ones that I want to speak about so far. If I didn't mention any of the uh, series in more detail, like, say, for instance, Indiana and Miami. Well, then, you know, I'm sorry, it's Indiana and Miami. Portland and Los Angeles. It's Portland Los Angeles. I'll get to that series. I'll get to that obituary in my next podcast, which I'm aiming for this Thursday, the 27th of August. Be there or be square. So I'll be talking about that. I'm interested also to take a look at the series I'm going to be talking about now, the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. Man, Donovan Mitchell is becoming a superstar before our eyes, man. Jeez, against Denver, he had 57 points, 9 rebounds, and 7 assists in the open opener. He had a 30-point game, 10 for 14 shooting, 6 of 7 from the 3-point range, 8 assists in Game 2. Game 3, he had only, quote-unquote, only 20 points. On five of thirteen shooting in a series that was never in a game that was never close, and then the game four this past he had fifty one points and seven assists. So for the series so far through four games, he's averaging almost forty points a game. Wasn't that what uh, 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 Warren? Oh shit, I can see the guy's name. Not Ty Warren. Forgot his name. Not Luke Warren. I see his name. Being old sucks. <laughs> I remember his name in like 15 minutes. But, uh, you know, basically, Mitchell is averaging 39.5 points per game. And the man is shooting 56% from the field, 51% from the three-point line, and 95% from the free-throw line. Man, I know De- I know Denver doesn't have any defense, but they can't be that bad. Or is Denver's defense that bad, or is Donovan Mitchell that good? Now, I guess some of these numbers, maybe you should put an asterisk by it. Because Denver had Michael Porter uh, playing in the game. Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. is going to be a guy, if he fulfills his potential, that could be a guy that's going to average 24 or 25 points a game. I see a lot of Carmelo Anthony as far as scoring-wise in Michael Porter Jr. five or six years down the road. But for folks who are talking about why doesn't Michael Jr. 
Michael Porter Jr., why doesn't he play more? Watch him on defense. That's the reason why he doesn't play anymore in terms of crunch time minutes. You can't put him on the floor. Unless he was averaging 65 points a game with 14 rebounds and 13 assists, which ain't going to happen, he's too much of a defensive liability for him to be on the floor. Because when he's on the floor, it's like hunt, 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 screen, hunt, screen, hunt, get that mismatch on him. Mitchell backs it out and he says, time to go to work like cool Mo D. And there's no stopping him. Same thing with Nikola Jokic. It's like there's no stopping the guy. They hunt, they hunt, they hunt, they hunt. Same thing with Luka in the Dallas Clippers series. They're hunting for for um, uh, Reggie Jackson and uh, Zubac. Hunt, 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 pick and roll, hunt, hunt. We got the mismatch. Back up, go to work. Same thing with Donovan Mitchell. NBA, that's what the NBA is becoming now. Hunting for that mismatch and taking advantage of it over and over and over and over and over again. So uh, that's what Mitchell is doing, man. If it wasn't for Luka, Mitchell would be the MVP of the playoffs so far. You think about it, LeBron came to the party a little bit late. But uh, yeah, for the most part, man, uh, Mitchell has been absolutely unbelievable. He really has. By the way, for this whole white boy, uh, bitch, what did you say, bitch-ass white boy deal, I know people want to talk about that and discuss that and everything. I, I don't know what the big deal was. I think people are taking it out of control. And I know people will say, well, if the guy said nigger, you guys would be all fucking, your panties would be all in a bunch if he said that, this, that, and the other. So let me, for the ignorant and for the dumbasses and for the jackasses, especially white folks who love to play the victim card and, oh, if we said that, we would be crucified. Let me, for those who want to play that card, and y'all play it over and over again, showing your ignorance and your stupidity on that. I mean, I don't know what the racial slur for people from Slovenia is. I don't want to know because I don't ever want to call anybody of any of any race any type of racial slur. I don't care who you are. I'm not really interested in calling anybody a racial slur. Um, what bitch-ass white boy is not a racial slur? You know, well, if you call the boy, well, you know, there's some context to that. I think if, I think if Luka Dantich called him that, I don't think he would call him that anyway. But my, my, my point is this. My point is this. People are up here getting their panties in the bunch talking about, oh, I can't believe he called him a bitch-ass white boy, bitch-ass white boy. That, that term white boy is offensive and racist and all that stupid, all that stupid stuff. You know, throughout my years, of uh, being around white people, being around white guys. You know what my thing that I've come to learn? You know who calls white boys white boys more than anybody else? White boys. White guys. Man, that white boy can play. That white boy can dance. That white boy can move. Anytime there's a white boy, especially when he's doing something which the perception is a black person, that like this is our domain. Like playing sports, playing basketball, that's our domain. Being a rapper, that's our domain. Being able to dance, that's our domain. You know, having our Johnson big and your, bigger than yours, that's our domain. You know, being a better athlete, that's our domain. It's so nice that white folks have given us just so, has given us just a few things that they've conceived just that, you know, these, these things that you're better than us. You're better dancers, you, you jump higher, you run faster. So it's very nice. I, I appreciate that, guys. But I've heard that term white boy, like play that funky music, white boy. You know, for black folks, it's a term of endearment. 
So for you know that, that, that white boy complaining, man, you bad for a white boy. I mean, like, it's, you know, white folks who know, white folks who've been around black folks. I mean, they know, they, they know when you know we're insulting you and when we're giving you terms of endearment. So if in the heat of the moment, say for instance, um, after the game. Montrez Harold would have came up to Luca and said, "Man, you a badass white boy, man. This mother, this is a badass white boy right here." Would anybody be sitting there talking about? Oh, I cannot believe this! Did you hear what he just said? He called him a white boy. Oh my goodness! If Luca would have called him a black boy, oh my God! Al Sharpton and the rest of these guys, they would have been coming down talking about Luca needs to be put in prison for the rest of his life. Oh, you know, that type of stupid ass shit. But um. That's a determined, from our point of view, you see, listen, learn, listen. From our point of view, that's, that's almost like a term of endearment, you know? White boy can play, the white boy's down, the white boy's invited to the barbecue, that, that white, the white boy can do this, that, and the other, you know? Now, bitch ass, you know, I mean, I think the, I think the bitch ass is what made the term white boy be elevated to, oh, I can't believe it, this is so horrible, this is so terrible. Probably that was it, but, you know, white boy, give me a break. So I just think that's a waste of time. So that's all I have to say about that. In closing, Ron Rivera, please get well. Please be safe. If you're doing chemotherapy and you're going to be hanging around, you know, environments where there's a possibility that you could get the coronavirus, that scares me, man. That really does. But I'm not a doctor. You know, I'm not in this inner circle. So I don't know. But my prayers are with you, coach. Get well and uh, be safe. More than anything, be safe. All right, man. I'm out of here. I'm good. I am good. About time for me to go ahead and watch a little basketball. I'm going to finish watching game four out of the uh, 87 NBA Finals. Right now, we have the Lakers making that comeback. I believe that they're only down by 13. So this is early in the third quarter or middle of the third quarter. So I'm going to go and watch this. I'm going to go get my snacks and everything ready to watch these games coming up. Go Luca, go Mavericks, go Clippers, go Kawhi, go Paul George. I want to see some good games. I want to see some great games. I want to have a lot of good stuff to be talking about on Thursday. We talk about things like the Philadelphia 76ers situation, how the process didn't work. Talk about this, something that's coming out about Greg Popovich is going to be the number one target for the New York, uh, for the Brooklyn Nets to be their next head coach. Yeah. In breaking news, you know, I'm looking to find somebody who's going to finance me traveling around the world on a boat while being accompanied by Jada Star, Audrey Botani, Celebrity Charms, and I don't know, Mariah Mills. Uh, give me a fucking break, you know, give, yeah, please. So all of that good stuff uh, for later on in future podcasts, all right? Hey, man, be good to each other. Treat each other well. Treat each other with respect. For all those who are serving to and uh, protecting us, who are who are serving and protecting us, please don't shoot us. Please, just try to go a couple of days without shooting us. We really would appreciate it. Music. <laughs>